This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Clue in Space. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where we're putting humanities back into science fiction. My name is Geffen and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And this time, because it's the final, it's the final movie, and we got our original guest star back. So give a warm welcome who no one can hear because we're recording this when you're not watching. But anyway, give a warm welcome to Dr. Omega. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So anyone who's been listening to this show for longer than you probably should be uh, will remember that Dr. Omega was our first guest who came on to talk about E.T. Whenever that was, I don't want to look it up. It'll make me feel old. I was like, that wasn't that long ago because I still had my desktop then. So a a wee while. So it was a wee while ago. It was before the pandemic. Yeah, in the before times. Yeah, in the long, long ago. So this week we have the, the final movie of the original star trek run is star trek the undiscovered country the good one (laughs) (laughs) the uh, the good one is in in, uh uh, parentheses at the end so so like i i i'm not gonna say that all of them are bad or anything i've liked a lot there's a few missteps here and there but like this is the unqualified success that everyone agrees is the good movie and is always in the top one or two of star trek movies yeah it was it was a good it was a good swan song unfortunately it did not remain a swan song the uh it's a at least for as far as uh saying goodbye to the original cast it's basically the best you could possibly expect. I agree with that. Yeah, I'm really surprised just how it gives everyone a like. It gives everyone their own thing and does a nice little goodbye thingy at the end, and even makes a reference to how there's already another show on that you should be go go be watching. <laughs> but others, you see, will have will they now? We're passing the torch to another generation, the next generation, you might say. Well, I gotta let you know that. I went to go see this in the cinema for my birthday with a bunch of friends during, um, I forget if it was what year in the early 90s it was, but there was the worst ice storm that the Delaware, the Delaware County and Delaware Valley, like the, you know, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, tri-state area. It was the worst ice storm in almost a century. And so basically it was me, a group of my friends and my mother in the theater. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And my mother almost cried at the oh, you end. You didn't get trapped there, right? No, we. I don't know why my friend's parents let them out because we went to we went to uh, TGI Fridays for dinner, and then there, literally there was nobody in the restaurant. I, we got like all of our drinks, you know, free refills and everything. There was no one in the cinema. Probably we caused people to stay there, but. <laughs> We didn't die. Well, how were they going to leave? Well, because they could have just closed early. But like, look, we've got no business. We're like, we want to see Star Trek, actually, please. And they were like, oh, fucking great. <laughs> are, are you sure? <laughs> we're kind of in the middle of the apocalypse right now. So it was very thematically appropriate. There's an ice planet. That's well, you know what? Yeah, because it, that's what I was thinking about the next day, because the transformer on my block blew and the whole neighborhood was out of power. We spent almost a week at my Aunt Phyllis's house. It was crazy. But Star Trek. <laughs> at least that would bring down the magnetic uh, you know, uh, field to prevent beaming. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the, um, 
as you referenced, 90s movie. This is one of the 90s movies that we have. So by this point in the series, this is releasing in 1991. Oh my god, is it that long ago? Next Generation's yep. already been on the air. Uh, like, this is, this is, we're well out of, we are out of the 80s for for this run of shows which like this show started this show started in the 60s and ended at the beginning of the 90s that's a heck of a run you have to go to uh you know either soap operas or doctor who in order to find something competing yeah like coronation street or something like that at this point like next generation's been on for three four years depending on when you're counting the start i'm not going to look up the actual start dates of these things so they're well into their swing everyone knows what they're doing with star trek it's it's like a big giant decade spanning generation spanning property now and this is like the perfect movie that they made out of it even i'll agree that i don't think they hit this even though i'm not as big a fan of original series overall like this is still just this is like peak star trek well i think the thing that's that's confusing about some of the films is that tos does really have like that you know 1960s it's science fiction kind of aesthetic and then pastiche and everything like that but next generation was such a an advance i mean obviously it's you know a few hundred years later in the star trek continuity timeline but it just felt like okay this is star trek now this is the future now you know and but then coming back to the original cast who obviously look like they should have retired from starfleet like a few decades previous and you're like yeah, but this really isn't the past or our present of the future right now. So it's kind of a bit like Uncanny Valley. We're starting to develop some Z rust here. Uh, we need to transition to the to the future. Yeah, exactly. Like I remember watching an because my mother, like disclosure, my mother loves Star Trek. Like being little, watching an episode of the original series, and there was like a tense, like oh no, that the count, there's a countdown that's happening, and it's one of those clocks, you know, where all the numbers are written on the wheel, and then the wheel just flips over yep i looked at it and then i kind of like leaned over and looked into the kitchen where our microwave with the digital clock was and i leaned back and this was like 85 or 86 i said to my mom i was like if they're in the future why don't they have digital clocks like us and (laughs) i had a little bit of a trouble like when i was a kid discerning like that what you see on tv is a product made by current individuals it's not for reals my mom was like, no, because they let, those are the props they had. I'm like, yeah, but it's the future, though. And she was like, do you want a cookie? Yes. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> we'll sort this out when you're older, perhaps. <laughs> let's, Star Trek, let's get a cookie. especially this era, it's the last time that science fiction thought of itself as having those limitations. It's something that I always loved about retro sci-fi. Because once you hit, like... Once you hit the modern full-on computer era and electronic miniaturization, people kind of stopped believing that there would be technological limitations in the future. And this is still like the last of the year when they're like, but how would we fit a computer on a spaceship? Yeah, that's a really good point. Like just the smartphone that I have in my pocket, you know, would have been just freaking amazing if it had been on TOS. Well, I do recall that, uh, you know, it's from the the blueprints for the Enterprise D even their uh, computer core is literally the size of a building. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, like Samsung probably has like a chip that can do fifteen times that, and it fits, you know, in a laptop or something. Yeah, but it's the future. Your phone can do more than anything they showed happening in the original series. Like, That's so depressing. The entire computer on the Enterprise. 
Like they, so they still all pull out slide rules to do calculations. Like, That's a good point. But hey, you know, we don't get those cool uh, colored uh, 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 cards or discs or whatever. Or, or, or I guess they also call them tapes at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can just put them in the computer and it does all the stuff we need for it. Yeah, the tiny random squares of wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spock, I found this. I'll put it in the reader right now. <laughs> but, I, but I guess you, you do like that, though. Like... Um, I think it was oh, it was one of the new Star Wars movies. Oh, the one with uh, the the one that was the heist, the war one, but now I can't remember. Rogue One, no Rogue One, Rogue One mm. nailed the you know the 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 pastiche and aesthetics of nineteen seventies sci fi. Everything they did cinematography wise, like all the costume and all the art direction. That was like that was the perfect leveling up of that with like in modern HD with modern CGI, but still retaining everything about that. Solo was okay. Yeah, I wish that movie hadn't wound up in development hell to the point that it became a muddled mess. But the aesthetics were cool. I, 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 there's, I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts about new Star Trek or new Star Wars. I mean, but I don't know. I got there's that 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 there's that kind of innocence, especially about TOS, that you're like, oh bless, look at them. Yeah. Just look at them going on with their science fiction. They're trying so hard. How Remember cute. when we thought the future could improve? Everything's an allegory for fascism. Well, we still do that. Yeah, it's true. All right, so we've been talking about it for a bit, so it almost seems a little silly, but I've asked every single guest star we've had on for this series. You got, like, we let people pick their movies, and then, they, you know, they got weeded out over time. But since people got <laughs> to pick their movies, why did you decide you wanted to come and talk about this one specifically? I guess I just always I felt very free nostalgic about it. Like maybe it was because I saw it on my birthday in the middle of like the most drastic weather ever. Or um, it could also possibly be David Warner, who is has as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best voice actors ever in the world. Amen. Um, probably believe that. It's kind of amazing. Well, I, I think I probably believe that because I might have had a voice crush on Ray Ghul from uh, Batman the Animated Series, which he voiced. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he was always just like, he wasn't like a dick about it. He was like, oh, detective, it's me, Ray Ghul. And I was like, yes, I'm go on, get to be, him. I'm going to be unsettling and reveal part of my evil plan in order to get you to fall into the other half of the evil plan. Yeah, he's just <laughs> vaguely sinister. Like, uh, like, what's the face? Like, 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 John, how Jonathan Price used to be in the Infinity commercials for TV. The Infinity I thirty is just the best call. You're like, oh, tell me more about it, Jonathan Price. It's amazing, <laughs> amazing voice. So how's this vehicle going to cause all sorts of havoc? <laughs> tell me more. Well, the Infinity I thirty. But yeah, I, I, I think it might have been a combination of David Warner. Um, uh, Spock had a really good part to play in this, um, and I've always loved Leonard Nimoy. So I, I think it's just a combination of those factors. Like thinking back to a Star Trek property that I really enjoyed because I tried with Discovery, and I was just like, "This is okay." I mean, I guess I didn't like Voyager. I didn't like Janeway. I didn't like Enterprise, even though I do like Scott Bakula. DS Nine was okay, but yeah. Nostalgia. I mean, that's that basically the show, honestly. That's, <laughs> that's why we do this. <laughs> so that's fair. So yeah, we like we said, this came out in 1991, was the last of the original series movies. Uh, story by Leonard Nimoy. They couldn't let him 
direct again, even though several people wanted to, because if they let him direct, then they have to let Shatner direct, and that just gives us this never-ending loop of making movies forever. If you do it, then sure, your brother's going to want to do it. No one to peace. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to Leonard Nimoy doing the story, we also have uh, Lawrence Cooner, who did a lot of shows uh, in this era, like Little House on the Prairie, and uh, later worked on The Sopranos and the uh, 2001 Planet of the Apes, uh, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. I like world peace. Did work as a team with the other writer, who is uh, Mark Rosenthal, uh, who did uh, scripts of movies that I have vaguely heard of called Billy Jean and Jewel of the Nile, which I've heard of but never seen either of them, so I can't comment on his work much. No, me either. Uh, we do have some repeating guest stars and some new guest stars. Interestingly, the repeating guest stars aren't playing the same people. Uh, the main new character is Kim Cattrall, who's playing Valeras, who's the new Vulcan. We get a new Vulcan <laughs> the every sm- single one of these things. Smug. Most, I am not suspicious, worst Vulcan ever. Yes. Uh, she was, she's got her start in, in like Police Academy, Big Trouble in Little China, The Mannequin. Which is no, I like I Kim Cattrall, don't get me wrong. It's just that like, you know, like Michael Burnham from, uh, from Discovery is a better Vulcan than she is. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't do a good Vulcan. No, it's, it's like how in The Witcher... Everyone loves to tell Geralt how little emotion that witchers have. And, oh, you see, Geralt, you have no human emotion. And yet, every time he reacts completely based on his emotions. And she's like, I don't have emotions. I'm not suspicious. Stop looking at me. Vulcans don't have emotions. How dare you? No, but, like, she's just so bad at being... She's written such a Mm. bad Vulcan. And of course, she's uh, best known for playing Samantha Jones on Sex of the City, which I found was just an interest. Like, so many people who played Vulcans in this era went on to have such interesting things that they're so well known for. Mm -hmm. It's like all the people that played Ferengi on Deep Space Nine. I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. Zara can tell you much more because she is super major heavy-duty Trekkie. But yeah, like, they all used to, like, get together at at Armin Chimmerman's house and, like, hang out and have barbecues and, like, be, like, a family. That was, like, really, really neat. That's actually kind of (laughs) awesome. Of course, like we said, David Warner is back. This time he's playing Chancellor Gorkin, which I kept thinking was Chancellor Gorkin. (laughs) Captain Kirk, have you had these small pickles? (laughs) I don't know what you humans call them. (laughs) <laughs> and christopher Plummer is playing chang or kang i swear they said it different throughout the movie chang. depending on which character was saying it general chang general here's the chang. thing they were all being introduced with like their klingon names and they're like and this guy's last name is chang which is a real human surname for some reason mm-hmm. yep don't read too deeply into it kids the cold Which they over. say in Discworld, there's only so many sounds in the world i guess so uh, Christopher Plummer's career is long and difficult to summarize. He started as Shakespeare, did movies, was working for decades and decades and decades, probably best known for his personal most hated film role of Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music. Oh, right, yeah, that was, was yeah. And he hates it. He hated it. <laughs> did he hate children or did he just hate He won't even or? say the name of the movie in interviews. Wow. Huh. 
I love it. He's a man after my own heart. Maybe he just really, really, really hates Austrians. Like, he's like, I'll tell them where they can stick their pretzels. When was the last time any of you actually saw Sound of Music? This character is horrible. Um, <laughs> See? Oh, Twenty. <laughs> yeah, like, everyone loves Sound of Music, and you're like, when was the last time you watched it? It's like, oh, mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, li- I listened to uh, to a podcast a few months ago. It was an, an episode of Musical Explaining. And uh, basically they were like, you know, this is bad actually. And it's, it's been like probably, like I said, 25 or 30 years since I've seen the movie. And I listened to the whole podcast. I'm like, oh, it is bad actually. The last one of those I listened to was Repo, the genetic opera. It's it's a really good series. Like I, um, I'm an accidental musical queer. Like... I was like I never really had a very good singing voice, so I was always like in the acting part of it. And you had to be you had to be in the inn in my school to to get to be in the musical. So I was like in stage screen musical adjacent, and it's I'm just shocked with how much like I actually remember and like how many times I've wanted to pause and be like, well, actually. But that's a good thing about it. it's a podcast is you can't actually mm-hmm. humiliate yourself. <laughs> Editing has saved our bacon up numerous times. People can't actually tell you in real time that you're wrong. I stopped reading comments on the internet and now I just put stuff out there and I get to think I did a good job. I've gotten into getting into arguments on live no. Bible comment sections <laughs> on Facebook. I don't know why I do this, but I do. Uh, entertainment purposes yeah, we only. Yes. We've got a bunch of other guest stars that I'm just going to run through because I can't go through everyone's career in a limited amount of time. Uh, Rosanna DeSoto plays Gorgon's daughter as as it Burr. It's the weirdest freaking name. I don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, Brock Peters is back playing Admiral Cartwright. This is his second or third time showing up as Cartwright. I can't remember, but he's been in the other movies and went over that. He's good at looking incensed. He really is. Yes. Uh, we've got Kurtwood Smith, who's famous from his role in RoboCop and that 70s show, playing the Federation president. Who is not a Klingon. I didn't know that until yeah. until Czar told me. Yeah, just uh, the, the alien that he's uh, playing, uh, their species showed up in Star Trek mm-hmm. IV as like a helm officer or something like that. Yeah, the, she says they're called the Afrasians, Afrosians, something like that. Afrasians, yeah. Frozen yogurt. But Frisia is also like a real place on Earth. Oh. Whoops. <laughs> uh, he also uh, played uh, Anorax in uh, Star Trek's uh, you know, Voyager, uh, the Year of Hell two-parter. Uh, he was also, uh, you know, uh, guess what, Gepwin? Guess what he was in? I know what he was in, and I'm going to have to explain this in-joke to another person. Well, are you going to say it? <laughs> no, you, you get such joy from this. Now I can't wait. He was in Medium, actually. Not the oh. FBI. <laughs> he, but he played an FBI agent in media. <laughs> right, you spent you spent six episodes setting up that joke, didn't you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and our poor guest stars have been so confused. Don't worry, Mega. Uh, I'll explain it later. <laughs> I believe you. I, I, I just really you. hope anyone else was following this as much as I was, because otherwise this means nothing. Anyway, we also have... We also have Michael Dorn, who's playing Colonel Worf, who's Commander Worf's grandfather. Yes. I do love it. I love it. And did any of you watch the version of this that has Murray, uh Renee Aubergeois. Yeah. Yes. Did, did either of you he watch the Odo. version with him in it? Yes, because, uh, of course, Tsar has the director's cut of just everything. And, like, literally... Uh, we moved to a bigger place, and she's got a whole entire nice. studio full of DVDs now. It's great. But, yeah... 
And I was, she was like, look who it is. It's Renee Obergemois. And I was like, oh my God, he looks <laughs> about 25 to 30 years older than he does in DS9. And she's like, yeah, because in DS9, his face is like smooth prosthetics. <laughs> and I was like, all right, yeah. I guess that would make sense. I felt like an idiot. I was like, but he looks so young. And she's like, no. So the version that makeup. I watched didn't have him in it. And I didn't feel like looking up the alternate scene. And it's one quick thing. So he doesn't actually get mentioned in our synopsis. But, you know, some people sat to see him. So that's fun. Colonel West. Not not Oliver North. <laughs> yeah, he gets a Scooby-Doo moment at the end. Who is that masked man? All right, we can jump in. We've already spent so long, long just shooting the shooting the shit here. So... Hopefully I wrote this concisely. So we open to find Captain Sulu finally in command of the USS Excelsior because he's deserved a command for years. All of them deserve a command by now, but I guess yes. that would just be half the fleet at this point. <laughs> and they will have two ships. So, well, they seem to because the Enterprise or the Excelsior are always the only ship in the quadrant. I was thinking about that. They're always very conveniently close to each other and everything else. At, at this point in history, Starfleet must have like 10 ships pretty much <laughs> well they say that like when they're like oh let's stop you know our cold war with the klingons what are you talking about scuttle our entire fleet and i was like do you have your entire fleet hanging out in the neutral zone all the time so is, there, is there literally nothing else you do you guys do because like i'm pretty sure there's like romulans on the other side there you should probably like because they're always up to no good. Maybe pay attention to them actually we should get to that later because that's an interesting point about the message of this movie <laughs> So Sulu is enjoying his tea when a massive explosion sends a shockwave through the ship and knocks over his tea. Oh my. Oh no, Tuvok worked so hard on that. So the Klingon energy facility on the moon of Praxis has exploded, which uh, is bad, generally. (laughs) Sulu offers aid to Klingons, their mortal enemies, but you know, they're like, nope, sorry, go away. We're fine here. How are you? We're all fine here now. Bye. So a few months you? later, uh, Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, and Ahura are called to a super-secret Federation top-level meeting where they get to hear news from the Federation envoy to the Klingons, which turns out to be Spock, because he does this sort of thing. The explosion at Praxis has done something bad to the Klingons' homeworld, and basically the entire empire is going to collapse in 50 years. Oh, it um, it knocked off part of their atmosphere. Yeah, I just thought it was... I, I, they, I, I don't think they need to go into it as far as interstellar politics goes because it would mean nothing to anyone, but they have a planetary empire, right? Yeah, they could just leave. <laughs> yeah, they do have like colonies and races that they've subjugated, according to Star Trek Online, which are also place. <laughs> I guess I see how if your capital planet got destroyed, that would be a giant disaster and would destabilize things. But they, they're talking about it like there's one planet in this whole thing. I don't think they need to go into it, but it's fine. I don't. But Kronos might have a pretty huge population. It probably does. So they might not have enough viable colonies to resettle the entire population. Well, they never mention what they do with it later because they're on. They never mention the name of the Klingon homeworld in Next Gen. It's just the homeworld. So maybe they did all move. <laughs> We're gonna hold this at Camp Kittimer. I'm sure nothing bad will happen here ever. So this explosion has put pressure on the current Klingon High Chancellor, Gorgon, to begin peace talks with the Federation. They want the Enterprise to rendezvous with them and escort them to Earth. Uh, There's some discussion about the end of the war, meaning the end of Starfleet, because apparently military people never change. 
And Kirk, of course, is not very thrilled because he's very Klingon racist. This whole thing. It's a metaphor. He's also only three months from retirement. We all know what that means. He's too old for this shit. Yep. <laughs> and there's also just, I, I can't summarize it well, but there is an amazing exchange between Kirk and Spock about being forced into stuff and how we shouldn't trust these people and the two old friends arguing and like the, the character work in this movie. Mm-hmm. You, you have to just watch it. I'm not going to be able to summarize it well. Should we be racist? Yeah, maybe we should stop being so racist. All right. Give peace a chance. and But Spock, you know, to, to volunteer me? That's arrogant presumption. This will come up later. Yes. <laughs> yes, but like, they've been friends for decades. Why is Kirk continuously shocked mm-hmm. by Spock's behaviors? Well, I do like still how even this is a good culmination of Spock's arc where he's bringing some emotion back in. He spent like four movies coming to terms with how he has a human half. Mm-hmm. And he's still just like, oh, right. Humans get mad, though. Well, OK. I mean, I guess you could look at it like data. Data slowly learns, you know what, I shouldn't say things like that to the Mm. humans because they really, you know, tend to have an emotional reaction. But, like, how do we know that Spock's just not trolling? He might be. Vulcans have emotion. Like, I've never seen a Vulcan not have an emotion. They are constantly annoyed as fuck. No, they just have resting bitch life. (laughs) Well, yeah, because they they go into, into, like, the the Vulcan mating period. (laughs) Of, like... Like PMSness, like all gender PMS. No, that's a real legit thing. Uh, it's called Pon Far, and yeah. it's basically like, yeah, they have to go and get hormonal, and then challenge for a mate, and then everything's fine for a decade. Okay, so why isn't the fanfic matching up the Pon Far male Vulcans with the in heat Beta Z women? No, that's that. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm sure you could find it somewhere. I just have not looked. Fan figures get on that. Just, you know, copyright me. So back on the Enterprise, finally, we meet Valaris, the first Vulcan to graduate at the top of her class. That's hard to believe. And Take Spock's that, Spock. protege. To <laughs> Mary Sue. She's like you, Spock, but better. <laughs> <laughs> they depart and make their way to the Klingon rendezvous. Kirk does a personal log about how he has reservations about peace and he can't forgive the Klingons for killing his kid a couple movies back. With his door open. Mm-hmm. I was like, why are you dictating to your live journal with your freaking door open? Because these doors are supposed to close by themselves. They probably don't even think about it anymore. True. Yeah. I guess. Why is the door open? Why did the door break is the real question. <laughs> yeah, so... The door is open and Valaris is out there listening in a definitely not suspicious way. <laughs> Smugly skull. She just wanted to say how happy she is to be here. It's like they told her, okay, Kim, so for this role, we want you to not act. <laughs> just act like you're not acting. No, don't worry, don't worry. That, that's what they're like. They're Vulcans. Just, just don't act. Or act smug. Smug, yeah. Yeah, do it again. Yeah, smug. Great, perfect. That's More Spock. Right. There we go. Then also later in Spock's quarters, he gives her some tea, tells her he wants her to take over when he retires. She's a big fucking deal, this girl. He is going to be the next Spock, you see. So you ought to respect that. Yeah. Spock too. <laughs> Graduated top of her class. So they're soon joined by a Klingon battlecruiser, and on board is Chancellor Gorkun, who Kirk invites to dinner on the Enterprise, which is probably a bad idea. Uh, he arrives with his entourage, including his daughter, as a the burr. Uh, General Chang, and Chang's just 
super excited to be here and loves yelling Shakespeare quotes at people. Is it just because Christopher Plummer can do it, though? Yes, (laughs) that's the only reason they do this. And he just has such fun. (laughs) All right, uh, you're going to be playing a Cleon badass uh, uh, and uh, just just be enthusiastic about Shakespeare. You can do that, right? Oh, heck yeah. He's like, of course I can. He's full on the only reason this character works. Like, any other person... Spinning around in his chair, excitedly shooting people, yelling random Shakespeare quotes. Like, this just should not work, but oh my god, it does. There's a, there was a good shot. We actually had to rewind backwards, because Zar spotted it, because I was looking at Twitter. But like when he's spinning around in his chair, it must have been like the end of a take, or a take that they didn't think they were going to use. Because there's an extra in the back that kind of just looks like shock. Like, did he just fucking do that? <laughs> <laughs> It's just very shocked Klingon, like, oh my god, the decorum. So, uh, dinner doesn't go well. Kirk is actively antagonistic to the Klingons. No one's joke land. The food is weird enough that they literally had to pay the actors to eat it. I heard about and that. And everyone gets drunk. On Romulan ale. Whoops. Yep. Isn't that, like, illegal? And Zara's like, yeah, at this point in the continuity, yes, it is very illegal. And I, I like, mean, right. they even say, they're like, isn't this illegal? It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fuck off. <laughs> we do what we want, Mom. And Gargan's the only one who tries any diplomacy, like, at all. So the Klingons leave. Everyone's hungover. Spock calls Kirk to the bridge because there's a weird amount of radiation coming from somewhere. And they're like, where's all that coming from? And then all of a sudden, the Enterprise shoots a torpedo at the Klingon ship. Oh, no. Who could have foreseen this? The ship's shields are down because they weren't expecting this. And it does a lot of damage. The Enterprise is thrown into chaos. Scotty confirms they haven't fired anything even though a second torpedo fires and knocks out the Klingon's gravity. Uh, two people in Starfleet spacesuits zoom on, bo- zoom on board. <laughs> <laughs> you opened up a zoom meeting. <laughs> Chancellor, you're, you're, you're on mute. You, mute <laughs> two people in Starfleet spacesuits beam on board with magnetic shoes so they can get around in the no gravity and kill several Klingons on their way to assassinating Gorkin. After all this chaos and whatever, Kirk and McCoy beam over to help. Uh, they let McCoy look at Gorkin, but it's too late, and he knows very little about Klingon anatomy, and so can't save him. Even though he knew more about Klingon anatomy in Trouble with Tribbles, but he forgot. He's old, he's got dimension, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now he's like, I don't even know his anatomy in Trouble with Tribbles. He's like, body temperature, heart, liver, this man is a Klingon, I know from how I know their anatomy. Yeah, remember when Klingons were, like, super stealthy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was like, oh, I wonder if this person's a Klingon. Now you can tell from like a mile off. So they're not able to save the Chancellor, but before he dies, he begs Kirk to not let things end like this. But then after all the chaos, they arrest Kirk and McCoy for shooting them. It's like, your people obviously did this. Um, sorry, but we got to arrest you. Um, we'll, we'll deal with this in time eventually, probably. So back on Earth, the Federation president does not really like that his people got arrested for reasons they don't really understand. The entire Federation Council literally shitting themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, we sent a hothead off to deal with this situation and it went wrong. Imagine that. Darn. <laughs> we'll get to that later, because I think this is the only time that I can get behind them justifying sending Kirk specifically off to do something. Surely he won't fuck everything up and fuck everyone. The Federation president's hands are tied by interstellar law. Uh, also, Azit Burr has taken over as chancellor, because I guess they have a dictatorship or hereditary monarchy or something. And she still wants to meet for the peace talks. But in exchange, they don't want there to be any extradition of 
Kirk and McCoy. They, they're kind of responsible for this whole assassination of my dad thing. So maybe we'll hold on to them and then we'll just pretend nothing happened other than punish these guys. How about that? I kind of got the feeling about her that she might have been like his protege and she was learning like the art of diplomacy from him. And that's why he had her with him on his mm-hmm. mission and everything. Cause I mean, she does seem to be a very genuine character, even though like, yeah, you're meant to think that she's evil. I like her. She's a good red herring in this whole thing. Agreed. She has a really intricate headdress jewelry. She does. Thing. Yeah, in fact, uh, Chainmail. she and Gorkon kind of like have the best styles here. I think. Yeah, because he's got like the black and red leather kind of. It does look almost look like an outfit that you would get in like some kind of medieval Western mm-hmm. RPG. Mm-hmm. Well, Gorkin was very consciously modeled after Abraham Lincoln. Huh. Oh, like facial hair wise, or just yeah, yeah he, like facial hair, and then they kind of you know spaced out his outfit, but like that, and the way that he has a cane instead of a top hat, but that's still like you know erudite <laughs> sort of thing. I want to see a Klingon with a top hat. <laughs> With the top hat have ridges as well. Probably. Though Kirk and McCoy are taken to Klingon court, uh, they are defended by attorney Colonel Worf. Yes. He does his best, but Chang rallies the crowd. None of them actually make a legal argument, as far as I can tell, but I don't know Klingon law. It's uh, There's not really a jury here, just a lot of people yelling, and then a judge who just kind of arbitrates uh, things. Yeah. With that cool-ass metal ball spark glove. I do like the spark Me ball. Me too. Mind you, those things you'd get for Christmas, like stocking mm-hmm. stuff or sometimes those basically just two balls of different colored gunpowder that you'd smash together to make gun smoke and sparks. And there was no other point to this toy other than that. Yeah, I remember those. I, I kind of want them now. My wife did not have the same experience. So I had to explain what they were. I don't know if were. they sell those anymore. They probably don't. I'll Google it. But they were, like, they, they were just dangerous. a terrible hazard. Here, kids. See if you can start a fire. It's fun. Yeah. Would you like gunpowder that is small enough to eat? Because <laughs> they did look like they did look like like sour balls or something like that, and I just recall that I would smash them together until my room like just reeked of cordite. My mom be like, "You should probably not be breathing that." Chill out at least a little bit. Open a window. <laughs> uh, so old Worf is doing his best. Grandpa Worf is one of the good ones. His family's just always been good, but this thing was rigged because they're just immediately. Uh, like they say, oh, we're not going to kill you, but you do get life in prison on the death world. Repente. How fun. Uh, you know, uh, the only yeah. people who have ever escaped here is Jonathan Arthur and maybe some other guy. <laughs> Archer, that room. Yeah, they, there's there's a line that like, oh, known throughout the, the, the galaxy as the alien's graveyard. And I was like, known throughout human space, I guess. Because like, yeah, aliens wouldn't. I guess everyone... Every, I guess, well, there's a lot of species there, so I guess everyone's like, oh, that's the alien's graveyard. I guess. Like, you know, the other aliens. It sounds like some kind of like Star Trek inspirational poster. We're all aliens to a different race. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's an alien to someone. Well, I did like it. I skipped past, but at one point they even said during the dinner, it's like, oh, we think everyone has human rights. It's like, even your words are racist. <laughs> they do. They basically like check your privilege, humans. <laughs> Okay, uh, all right, they're called blaster balls. You can still get them. The first website that came up on Google was pyrodirect.com. So I don't know what that says about anything, but pyrodirect for all of your hey, stocking stuffers. Pyrodirect, uh, get in contact with us and uh, we'll get a sponsorship going. <laughs> yeah, if you get any of these things and hurt your children, send me a picture on Instagram. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 
<laughs> Not of the hurt children, of the explosions. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to do to do social media tie-ins. Is it working? Social media is the devil. <laughs> Find out on Linktree. So, Verapente is an ice asteroid world, but one with an atmosphere. Uh, it's a big mine, and there's no guards, because if you try to leave, you'll die. No. Oh. That's... Except there definitely are guards. Yeah, the guards are like inside just to make sure you don't wander out easily. So Kirk and McCoy are immediately harassed by large aliens, but they don't have universal translators, so they have no way of knowing what's going on. Uh, they're picked up by a lovely alien woman named Marta, and she seems to like them and gives them a warm welcome and tells them that uh, there's a reward for their deaths. So watch out for that. Not getting shivved in prison. Well, that was kind of the plan before, but now it's extra urgent. See... There's a big problem about this scene, and we were watching it. We had finished eating dinner, and I said, "So that's that's Iman who plays that character, international supermodel. Used to be married to David Bowie. Just incredibly beautiful person. I do not believe at all her making out with grody, disgusting, <laughs> mid sixties grandpa bod William Shatner. I don't care how sexy Captain Kirk was. But she does it to manipulate. I but it's there's it's like that part in the Matrix trilogy where like Trinity and Neo have sex in the worst choreographed way that it, it actually made sex look bad. Yeah. That's this I was like stop putting your mouth onto his mouth. This, this is horrible. This is uncomfortable. Stop God, it. Well, someone do something. Get an adult. That's disgusting. Back on the Enterprise, they've reviewed the recordings of the attack again and again, and there's no way that a torpedo could have come from another ship, but the Enterprise didn't shoot anything because they still have all their torpedoes. Well, that's weird. So the only conclusion, once you eliminate the impossible, is that a cloaked ship was hiding under the Enterprise and can fire while hidden, something no other ship in history has been able to achieve. They keep bringing out this quote in various forms. Spock says it's an ancestor. I think it's just Sherlock yes. Holmes. <laughs> Which is, uh, you know, Spock's implying that his ancestor is a fictional character, but given that Spock's a fictional character, maybe it works. And he never says that it was a Vulcan ancestor. You know what it is? It's I bet he, he fucking read the quote three weeks ago on his computer, and he was like, I'm going to use that. This was like millennia ago humans don't know their own history they're idiots i'll yep. just say this and they'll be, they'll be like oh was it really spock oh wow right right well yes of course i or or and fanfic slash spinoff series writers sherlock holmes is one of the first vulcans that came to earth to check us out to see how we were developing as a culture <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> he just hides John Watson has this super big slash crush on him and he doesn't realize it because he's a Vulcan. <laughs> so even though there definitely had to be another ship, the Enterprise computer was in fact altered to make it look like they fired torpedoes later. So whether or not there was another ship, whoever did the thing must be on the Enterprise. So they should start looking for them there. The that's the that's actually one of the best part of the best part of the films is like the like the sleuthing and it's, it's mostly done in montage but i do i did like that part is, i mean the way that spock's just like i'm solving a mystery here pay attention yes. it's just yeah. very good now, all you humans are just worrying and yeah i'm gonna actually solve this problem here let's go <laughs> I liked it because it was also showed like a lot of the crew you know mm -hmm. like pitching in like we're gonna save the captain and we're gonna have a montage 
yeah, well, like, you know, Chekhov gets a bunch of good jokes in. O'Hara's actually doing something for once. Scotty just swoops in at the end and saves the day like Scotty do. (laughs) Everyone gets to do their thing. Scotty, the most competent man on the ship, accidentally discovers a thing. (laughs) They search the ship for the magnetic boots that the assassins wore because they had to wear them to get back. And they couldn't have gotten rid of them because there's no way to destroy them or get them off the ship without setting off many, many alarms, as Valeris demonstrates by shooting dinner. Whoops. And I loved that. I liked the demonstration, but then the crewman who's working on making lunch is like, what the f- This fuck's sake. <laughs> and there's like mashed potatoes all over the place. Although I love that, like, th- th- that's it. Like, you know, it's the future, but shit, how am I going to hide this incriminating evidence? I'll just shove it, like, in a vent and, like, walk away. <laughs> <laughs> no one will find it here. <laughs> exactly. I'll just hide this mm. perfect crime. So back to the mines, uh, Kirk's being attacked by a large blue alien who almost gets him killed, but he's able to win by kicking him in the knees, which, nope, those weren't knees. Ouch. That was one of my favorite lines when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my God, ha ha. Today it's like, oh, that seems inconvenient. How do you bend down? Well, no, like they, I don't know, like we don't know what kind of, if there's sexual dimorphism or if it's mm. an auto-reproducing species or maybe there's 17 different individuals that have to be involved. But like the like when I was a kid, the idea is like, oh my gosh, yeah, aliens would have their junk in another place. Let me tell you about the trousers and like, their arm. Those <laughs> trousers were pretty flimsy. Like, I feel like he should have had, like, an athletic cup or something. And then this whole species is like, oh, no, I dropped something under the sink. Now I have to kneel down to get it. Oh. I squat instead. Uh. They have, like, little shin guards like you'd get when you played soccer when you were a kid. (laughs) So later on in the bunk room, Kirk prognosticates about how racist he is and how the Klingons are never going to do anything good. But, you know, maybe he was just too suspicious to do peace and things and then... Before he finishes his thought completely, Marta shows up, makes out with Kirk, and tells them to report to the lift tomorrow morning if they want to get out of here. Oh, oh, okay. And everyone vomits forever. They do. The next day, Kirk and McCoy show up at the elevator, but there's no Marta, except there's a large, hairy alien dude there who speaks to them in Marta's voice and explains that they're they're going, they don't allow women, which is interesting that they have sex discrimination in the criminal death mine yes yeah you'd think that'd be like i'll just just let her go she'll be dead by first break anyway so they leave the elevator and once out of sight of guards marta transforms into a small girl uh which lets her just take off the giant shackle chains that she was in as the big hairy dude it's like i like that <laughs> that's clever shape-shifting is she the same race as odo Think so, they call but... her a chameleonoid, a chameleonoid, so probably not. Well, she doesn't really like shape shift into like objects, just different sorts of humanoids. Some of them much larger. That's a good point. Yeah, she could possibly be the same species as Wesley's girlfriend, the alien queen. Oh right, yeah. Oh yeah. See, this is this has always been a thing for me. They get to DS9, and like, oh my god, this dude's a shape changer. What's what's a shape? Oh my god, shapeshifters all over. This is just amazing. The shapeshifters. Like, this is the ninth shapeshifter y'all have gotten to. <laughs> but he's really sarcastic. <laughs> so that makes him the best. So Marta leads them into a tunnel, uh, turns back into the big guy because he's big and fuzzy and can handle cold, and she gives Kirk and McCoy some warm clothes that she hid there, and they head up to the surface. This is rather convenient. Kirk has this 
whole thing about how they keep making fun of me. It's like, oh my god, I can't believe I made out with this who's a big hairy dude. And I have several problems with this. I spent the entire rest of the movie trying to figure out whether this was transphobic. I can't well, quite he tell. Also made out with the same person who turned into the child. That's the other thing. He's bothered yeah. that he made out with someone who turned into a big hairy alien guy, but not that he made out with someone who can turn into an underage girl. Yeah. You remember Miri? I mean <laughs> Yeah, we try not to, but I ain't saying, I'm just saying. So back in the Enterprise, we sidestep that discussion and find some boots. Oh hey. Wait a moment. Crewman Dax. Dax, what have you I was I was thinking about that. Mm-hmm. He's like, sorry, I haven't got my symbiote yet. But uh, this is basically just an excuse for Chekhov to make a fool of himself because he references Cinderella and then sees that this guy couldn't wear boots because he's got alien feet. Oh, the more Chekhov changes, the more he stays the same. But more importantly, they've detected Kirk and McCoy because Spock put a tracer on Kirk before they left the Klingon ship, meaning that they can pick them up from across the sector and that they can get to them as soon as they leave the anti-beaming shield. So now that they're out of the mine, they need to go deep into Klingon space. The thought that, like, they would have scanned them or something, or, like, at least given them, like, a body cavity search or... I know. know. It's it's not even like I have an injected tracker or something. It's like, Spock slapped a patch on my back when we left. It's like, you're in completely different clothes. You've been gone for months. Like, what is happening? Oh, Spock... It's also a good thing that nobody else uses this sort of tracker because otherwise you'd be in trouble. Wouldn't it be great if they're like trying to hone another signal, but they get like the the moon, you know, the moon <laughs> in the next system's baby monitor? So they have to have Ahura and the crew decipher a bunch of Klingon with physical books and dictionaries. Yes. <laughs> I loved that. I loved that when well, I first saw computers it. Computers and stuff here, but maybe they just didn't put it on the computer, all this stuff. And but it's also convenient if they have these books. Huh. It's also my it's the absolute best use I've ever seen in a movie of literal translation to subtitles. Yes. The the scene is only funny because of the yes. subtitles. They finally realize that the, the border guard's <laughs> telling them a joke. They're like, ah, ha, 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 so great. You ha, ha, never change. It's just love it because like the border guards are laughing. And then like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what did they say? And one of the crew members in the back is like, just laugh. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Yeah, see, like, I would have, I could have dealt with a lot more of, like, the Enterprise getting shit done mm-hmm. kind of scenes. So, outside on Rarapente, Marta starts a campfire using some sort of flare doodah that turns ice into hot. Which I, I love this. I don't know how it could function, but it's, I love that. Magic! <laughs> I have a tube of that stuff. It's called Icy <laughs> She explains that she's a chameleonoid, which is a kind of shapeshifter. Kirk finds this off-putting because of the making out. Uh, but, you know, we went into that already. But then he immediately attacks her because she was obviously colluding with the guards because this is all way too convenient. And she admits that because they needed to be killed escaping because an accident would have looked suspicious to kill both of them at once. But, you know, killed escaping makes perfect sense. Yes, actually. Yeah, but that's like you never believe a single thing that, that Vladimir Putin says. Yeah. So, like, why did the Klingons think, oh, we have to make this look legit we're not coded as like, you know, the evil bad guy Cold War team. You know, we have we what, what will people say that the bad guys did something? I mean, obviously, just kill them while they're in prison. I mean, like they died somehow. Because if they just shoot them as soon as they show up, they can't actually. Yeah, escape. you can just lie. 
Yes. They could have saved themselves all that effort by just shooting them when they got there and be like, it died somehow. See, this is probably one of those Klingon honor things. I can't lie because that would be dishonorable. But I can orchestrate a fake escape attempt and then kill them and then I don't have to lie. And because they tried to escape, then it's legit. You know, I'm not just murdering somebody in cold blood. I mean, maybe if like the high command is the uncle from Ghost of Tsushima and he's like, oh, but your honor. <laughs> the Marta transforms into Kirk. We get fun, like, Kirk fighting Kirk stuff. Again. And they make a bunch of jokes about he always did want to make out with himself. My mother really liked that scene. She laughed a lot at that. And uh, then the Klingons show up, immediately figure out who's Marta and shoot her. Either that or Kirk is dead and the rest of the series is just Marta going like, you know what, I'm just going with this. (laughs) Nobody notices, then it's all cool, right? (laughs) Kirk goes, you know what, who's behind this? And the Klingon says, well, sure, I'm going to kill you anyway. So, and then they get beamed out. Do you want to go back? I like that. That's a good that's a good turnabout of the trope. I love how much humor they started putting back into these things. People need to understand that the premise of Star Trek is inherently stupid and <laughs> needs jokes. Yeah, because when it wasn't being up its own ass, not okay, up its own ass in a good way, with like, you know, very, very famous 60s sci-fi authors like coming into like right single episodes, which were about religion and fascism and the human condition and stuff. And you also did have, like, Trouble with Triples, and that's just hilarious. Which is also a super famous author coming in to write comedy. Mm-hmm. Chang on board the Bird of Prey uh, finds out that Kirk and McCoy have escaped basically immediately and decides to give chase because he doesn't want to give them a chance to actually do anything, which, like, this is one of those villains that's, like, they're the heroes. I have to actually kill them or they're going to find a way to do the thing. I should probably stop that. Like, I can't just I can't just be like, well, they don't know where the secret meeting is because they're going to find out. <laughs> yeah, and I like how like Sulo's like, oh, yeah, I know the secret meeting. It just, everyone does. Jeez. So Scotty is reading over schematics in a room for no readily apparent reason just because he does that. <laughs> Sark said, she's like, it's kind of funny that he has a adult coloring book of the Enterprise schematics. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a noise coming from the vents and just finds the missing uniforms. Because they were just in a random vent in the galley. He thanks them to show Kirk and Spock just before they trip over the assassins' corpses in the hallway. Oh, it's, it's these guys' uniforms. Well, um, I guess that takes care of that then. Case solved. They were both killed with short-range stun blasts, which apparently don't set off the alarms. You should fix that. Again, you'd think. Yeah. Like, you have literally no reason to fire a phaser on the ship unless something has gone very wrong. So it seems like it would just always set off the alarms. Yeah, because you wouldn't, I mean, even if you're, you know, training, you, you wouldn't be using, you wouldn't be using a phaser set that high. It's like, we have a plot reason for part of this, but not enough. It's like, that really pissed me off. I saw a few of the Harry Potter movies way back in the day. I can't remember which ones, but I was like, if they know when an underage wizard is like wanking his wand, like, why do they not use that kind of technology to make sure that if anyone ever uses the unutterable, like, unholy curses, that, like, everyone in the world knows where they are. My friend was like, hush. <laughs> Magical privacy concerns, apparently. It's the GDPR for wizards. <laughs> Every time you cast a spell, you get a little pop-up asking you to adjust your advert preferences. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Earlier, check, I was like, why didn't they just vaporize the boots? And then they do the demonstration and, and yeah. the alarms go off. 
And then this scene, McCoy's like, why didn't they just vaporize the bodies? Just because the alarm. You know that one that we've always had that we're just talking about now? So this does, however, give Kirk an idea. And the announcer of the ship's intercom that they need the court reporter to come take testimony from the two guys in sick bay. Because that's not a weirdly suspicious way <laughs> yeah, to make that Yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, they're showing, like, the people who have black uniforms who are setting the table in the galley. And they're looking up like, oh, I wonder what that's about. We decided that they're actually, like third-party caterers probably because how ticked would you be if you went through the academy and signed up for starfleet and like went through all this it's like you get to set the table yeah like we had this whole backstory that like the best uh space cruise company was like oh you know what if you're escorting the chancellor you'll need like proper like legit top-notch service so we'll 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 send you some contractors who they're like the best like they're on their flagship cruise ship and they're just like fuck me i didn't expect this this sounds like something that's going to just show up in lower decks one of these days it's like the elite catering core <laughs> that'd be awesome would you like a follow-on, sir? So an assassin sneaks into the dark room of Sick Bay and finds Spock, who's very, very disappointed to see that it is Valaris. That is the quintessential, like when he slaps her face away, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> he accuses her of not being logical, because if she was logical, she has to kill him. There's no other option. And she's like, but my feelings. This is just the natural culmination of her decisions. But my emotions. I'm busy being shocked right now uh, give me a minute and i'll logic later and oh i don't have to phase her anymore like i legit thought when i first saw it like it would, the reveal would be that she was actually romulan like with plastic surgery to look like a vulcan and i was like i knew it she wasn't a real vulcan but she was that would have been better it would have vulcan extremism has always confused me mildly crops up in weird ways it's not super consistent unless because it's not like it makes sense that you could get there but this show like all of star trek this is a criticism i have for all of star trek it spends so much time circle jerking itself with logic and how great logic is and how vulcans are logical and they never go into the like but the exactly the same logic that let this vulcan like do this amazing great altruistic thing also let this guy become a terrorist well you do see them occasionally in youtube comments like people are just <laughs> i'm just so logical are you triggered yet? <laughs> just logic, man. I've, I've, I've been able to prove that that it is, is it is illogical for Debbie not to have dated me. It's taken me twenty years in this basement of my mother's, which was also very logical. Exactly. Have you seen rent prices nowadays? <laughs> that's 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 what most of evolutionary psychology reminds me of. Just sad, sad incels sitting at their computer trying to statistically prove that she should have gone out with them. That's the best description of evolutionary psychology I've heard in a long time. Yeah, I had an evolutionary basis in my thesis, so I had a whole like two paragraphs in the introduction going out of my way to say that this is not a work of evolutionary psychology. It doesn't fit the tenets of the field at all. My supervisor was like, is this really necessary? And I was like, yes. I don't want to be lumped in yeah, with those you guys. You spent two paragraphs going, I'm actually using this for something. I'm not just trying to backwards justify modern capitalism using an evolutionary lens. Oh my god, I, I get updates, I get Elsher updates, and I do get just some, the like, the weirdest updates of papers that are published. And it, it does all basically amount to, like, the pheromonal producage of, of the, the adult female upon seeing the male of optimal... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> just go on OnlyFans, she doesn't like you. Anyway, <laughs> Star Trek. So... 
Of course, uh, Valaris, now being caught, denies everything. But Kirk already knows she was the spy because that log entry that he made earlier was used against him in the courtroom. And she was the one who heard it. The only person who could have been outside her, his door at that time. I, I, I think in my head canon that he does it every day and he just doesn't realize that the door is open or he doesn't care. And there are actually like a bunch of people who just gather on either side of the door to listen. Yeah, there's just the crew brings popcorn. <laughs> What's he talking Capri about today? Sons. Yeah. His son. He's <laughs> like, oh my God, he's still whining about his kid. He didn't even know he existed. And that's the thing, too. He has an actual like photograph, not like a digital hologram or something. Like this whole sad dad thing of like, yeah, I was a sad father who never knew his kid and abandoned his family and just worked too hard. But my God, the feels. So anyway, she blames Kirk for betraying Starfleet by siding with peace talks and Klingons can't be trusted. So some Federation higher ups and the Klingons are working together to sabotage the peace talks. And also the Romulans. The Romulan ambassador, that one guy. Yeah, okay, it's just the one Romulan. But they're always up to no good. She doesn't want to tell them anything, so Spock uses a very morally dubious forced mind meld. It's not even dubious, it's just wrong. But, you know, he's angry. And they go out of their way to tell to, to, to code it as wrong and invasive because she's, like, crying out and, like, sobbing. And, like, you flash to, like, the others and Scotty's like, I didn't... I didn't think that Anahura, like, puts her hand over her chest, like, oh my god, I'm seeing someone getting raped in front of me. Like, it's basically... Yeah. So at least they they went out of their way to be like, this is not good. I know. I do like that the movies, like, they show it, and it's shown as, like, possibly necessary to figure out stuff, even though it's definitely not. Definitely not necessary. They could have just called Sulu like they do in 10 seconds. (laughs) But, yeah, they, um, they show that it's bad, which is better than we've gotten in a lot of these mind-reading cases. I guess to a certain extent, as far as how things have been set up so far, you know, Valerius was Spock's protege, so he's very disappointed. And this is the like the the uh, the time in all the movies uh, and show uh, things like that where Spock is basically pissed off and barely able to hold it in. Would you say that he's acting on his emotions? Yes. Aha! For you see, Geralt, you never. Mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think. Overall, like I was, I was looking at this. It's like, well, Spock's freaking pissed, but you know, they spent three movies at this point setting up that Spock needs to come to terms with the fact that he is in fact half human and has emotions. And I think, like him, just portraying the sheer depths of that pissedness with you know so little, like it's not like he like chews the scenery or anything. It's very well done. So, like I said, Kirk's. Calls Sulu and the Excelsior, basically making the whole mind torture thing unnecessary. Because Sulu knows where the peace talks are being held. He's heading there to help, but they might not all reach it in time. So, you know, they got a rush. This is nice. Sulu gets very intense in these things. Like, we're tearing the ship apart. Well, let it fly apart. I have to go save Kirk. <laughs> I love George Takei. He's, he's great. <laughs> Which is also great. I mean, it's, it's immaterial to anything, but like all these scenes where he's like, oh my God, I have to save Kirk, my best friend and mentor. And just knowing behind the scenes is like, I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it does, it, it is a little bit different watching this now, like knowing that like Shatner's just such a fucking tool. <laughs> like, I mean, I've known he's a tool my whole life, but I still enjoy these things. Well, see, I didn't when I was like 11, when I saw this movie. You know, so I was like, it's Captain Cook. That's really great. But now I'm just like, oh, he's such a dick on Twitter. See, that was my first intro to the series. 
my mom like introduced me to this. She was the big hardcore Star Trek fan. She introduced me to Star Trek. And one of the first things she said was like, okay, so Captain Kirk, that guy's a douchebag. <laughs> yeah. So he has, she had all these things. It's like, oh yeah, Christy Alley didn't continue because she said she couldn't work with Shatner. Shatner hated the rest of the crew. He alienated everyone on sets. Like just like constantly from the time I was introduced to the series. Like, did you know that Shatner's a douche? Let me tell you about how Shatner's a douche. Like, I didn't know that Canadians could be dicks like that. Like, I always thought they were so nice, but. Well, they get exported to the U.S. They get kicked out. <laughs> we're so sorry. But you're just not polite enough. You have to go to the States. So Kirk and Spock have a nice heart to heart about uh, how they've outlived their usefulness and risking your life for peace is worth it anyway. I just love that we'll get into it a bit. But like this is kind of the whole message of the movie and this discussion, which I love is like, yeah, I'm definitely an old racist. But that doesn't mean I have to act like an old racist. Maybe we can be better. Would you say that he got woke? (gasps) (laughs) <laughs> um this is where we put the uh the csi yeah sound right <laughs> well i mean if you think about it he was canceled by the klingons <laughs> true and then he does do the thing where he tells everyone how canceled he was and then at the end he tells everyone how silenced he was in the form of a big huge long speech that everyone stops and listens to and then the whole room fucking bursts into applause and I turned to I turned to Zara and I said, and that admiral's name, Albert Einstein. <laughs> and everyone applauded. <laughs> so they arrive at the Kittimer place where they're holding the talks. Uh, Kang calls Kirk to yell Shakespeare at him mostly because he <laughs> feels like it. And then just starts firing. I even said, like, wait a second, do they not have to like accept transmission because in every single other original series it's oh we're being hailed okay accept transmission or like put them on the screen or like no reject it we're not picking up but he just seems to be like hold on let me just hack your mainframe there like it's the shakespeare override <laughs> Shakespeare override. <laughs> you see in the future whenever someone's quoting shakespeare anywhere on the ship everyone hears it even if they're you know on a different ship <laughs> uh, it's just it's just such an example of technology when we feel like it. Mm-hmm. So Kang hits the Enterprise with several torpedoes. They can't fire back because the ship is cloaked and they don't know where it is. The Federation president and Azit Burr are giving speeches on the planet. There's a Klingon sniper setting himself up in a light fixture. Uh, Spock suddenly has some inspiration that whether or not the Klingon ship is cloaked, they must be venting gas in order to move the ship because that's how engines function. Wait a moment. Did we steal some equipment from the Excelsior somehow? Yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah, they have a bunch of equipment to study gaseous anomalies. Which is what the Excelsior is doing. <sighs> Everyone studies gaseous anomalies. You know how many gas clouds they find on this show? Everyone has this. That's true, because it wasn't like they, they were always doing that in Next Generation. They're like, oh, we have to go chart some fucking cloud. Oh, no. Something terrible is inside the fucking cloud. Oh, it's sentient. Oh, it impregnated someone. How would we ever have foreseen this? It's full of haunted children and uh, weird (laughs) strands of stuff. See, we as the audience get confirmation bias because this only happens like one every 10,000 clouds they study, but the rest of them aren't on the show because it's just too boring to watch. It's it's selection bias. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like a little sign this many days without a gaseous anomaly. (laughs) (laughs) 
They have equipment on board to study anomalies, so Spock grabs McCoy to do some emergency surgery on a torpedo. Fascinating. This is just also great. It's the last scene of the movie, and Spock and McCoy are working together to save the ship. I do like that, but I'm basically like crawling after the torpedo as it's going to launch. The Excelsior arrives to give the Klingon ship a second target. Uh, McCoy and Spock, of course, finish the torpedo just in the nick of time to prevent both ships from being destroyed. The torpedo very slowly homes in on the Klingons as King slowly realizes what's happening. Then both the Enterprise and Excelsior fire at the target that the torpedo just hit and destroy it in seconds because they're cloaked and don't have shields. See, I said that I thought that being able to cloak with shields up would be more valuable than being able to fire while cloaked. And they should have worked that one out first. That would be the smart move. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is also a TOS area where uh, the Klingons come up with new tech every once in a while. And then they'll use it once, which I guess is kind of fair then later in Star Trek where they come up with the tech of the week and only use it once and then they just kind of forget about it. So See, here's the thing. Both Klingons and Romulans have cloaking technology. You cannot tell me there has not been some Federation spy or someone in the Federation able to get some of that technological knowledge. I believe uh, there was an uh, episode of the original series that uh, where uh, uh, Kirk runs off the cloaking, uh, Romulan cloaking device. But, yeah. Yeah, but only so they can figure out how to get around it, not so they can use it like the dirty commies who sneak around. Yeah, that that was something else I was thinking is, so kids watching this now, without the benefit of the context of the Cold War, like, there's just so much coding that's that's lost. I mean, like, when I was young, I remember watching stuff, I was like, oh no, it's the Russians. Oh no, it's the Chinese. They could be up to anything. And kids today will be like, wow, why was this show just so racist towards Klingons and Romulans? I don't get it. <laughs> so they destroy the bird of prey. Kirk and crew beam down to the planet. Kirk tackles the president out of the way right before the Klingons shoot him. Scotty appears behind the assassin and shoots him. Uh, and he falls down into the main hallway. Probably shot him a little harder than he meant to. Yeah, but I thought that was great. He's like, shoots him. And he's like, blah. Just launches himself out the window. <laughs> Despite all the shooting and people beaming in and out and assassins being tackled and admirals being arrested slash counter-arrested, Kirk gives a big speech about how great peace in the future is, <sighs> and everyone applauds. Like, um, we're kind of shocked by what just happened, but okay, let's go with it. Like, everyone's just stunned, like deer in headlights, like, what in the world is hanging on? It's like there was a terrorist explosion in the back of the room. All of a sudden, no one knows what's happening. People rushing with phasers drawn. And Kirk says, like, some people think that the future means the end of history. Like, I don't know, this guy's giving a speech. Clap. Uh, (laughs) If we clap loud enough, maybe they'll not shoot us. Uh. It was so, it was so hokey. As the children say, it was quite cringe. It was very, it's like, why, why are we clapping? Now, now I will say that in the context of, you know, a first viewing of this movie, it's an exciting moment and it kind of brings everything together. And so you don't necessarily think about this kind of weird situation here, but yeah, after so many viewings over so many years, it's like, yeah, I can't help but notice this ridiculousness now. It's just, you know what, it's, it's, it's like, it's like at the end of the kids movie where they have to bring up the lesson. Or like the old 80s cartoons like He-Man and Shira, which would actually have a few minutes at the end for you to discuss the lesson if you didn't get it the first time. But the lesson was often very disconnected from the random show. That's true. I still remember watching some of those old ones. 
as an adult and was like like i just would watch he-man on reruns on tv as an adult and they'd be like well as you saw today someone this guy messed with something he didn't understand just like how you shouldn't eat random berries you find outside (laughs) yeah like at least the gi joe ones made sense although i i recently like when the when the pandemic began i've got two nieces in in utah and one of them uh i was four turning five and i thought you know what this will be great so i sent her through amazon because it was her birthday i sent her the complete uh shira the original shira and i was like oh this is so great it's the whole thing on dvd she's gonna love it and then i found a site where you can they're all i think they're all like up legally on the internet and i watched the first episode of shira and i thought oh my god this is horrible (laughs) but it's horrible in such an interesting way like I, I loved He Man. I was all about He Man when I was a kid. Shira, I, I could take or leave because Shira was smart, but she had idiot friends that always just were just mm-hmm. idiots. But yeah, then I was like, all right, well, I'll watch some episodes of He Man. Watch <sighs> shit too. Yeah, I just thought I think she the original Shira is fascinating because it's like almost accidentally a feminist show just because they were too lazy to change anything yeah. and just did like a one-for-one gender swap of he-man mm-hmm. and that's it like okay if she had friends that i get they were idiots and i i think that skeletor is a better super better supervillain than hordak oh, he is. definitely is but but bo she has the man toy i cannot get over the man toy who has a heart cut out in the middle of his chest. It's got that 80s mustache, which everyone knows is code for gay. That's not my headcanon. It's just the facial hair facts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I saw, I saw a few episodes of the new Shira on Netflix and it's cute. I think if I was a little kid, you know, I'd be like, oh, this, this is great. But, you know, I'm glad that kids have not shit animation now. It's actually very worth, worth watching all of. It gets more interesting as it goes that's what i've heard that there's a lot of very significant character development that provides salience on both a child level and an adult level so it's mm-hmm. one of these days when i have time maybe i'll, I'll catch up on the bicycle. there's also an entire episode where they imagine what the show would be like if they were still making it with the old costumes and things <laughs> really nice. that's fantastic actually yeah so everyone saves the president assassination plot's been thwarted i guess peace has achieved Yay. achievement pop up peace good job <laughs> peace with the klingons all the the, the murderers are dead or arrested now so hooray they'll return to the enterprise to say goodbye to sulu um and then they get orders to return to starfleet to be dis- decommissioned spot goes well i believe the appropriate response would be go to hell Let's just pirate off with like, you know, very valuable Starfleet crew and ship and everything yeah. and surely everything. Will I mean, be what are you going to do? Stop us? <laughs> we're frick, we're the freaking Enterprise. This was we the hokiest part. We only have one other ship and it's Excelsior. Sulu's running that. So, ah. <laughs> like, I know it's supposed to be a legit, like, touching moment, but just watching it now, it does come across as very ridiculous. A little bit, especially if the la- the thing is, so it's like, we're ready for more adventures. Like, course, like, second star to the right. And straight on till morning. And this is how all of this is actually just a Peter Pan prequel where Kirk shows up and becomes Captain Hook. I think parts of Peter Pan are in public domain, so. Yeah, it works yeah. out. Oh, oh, Star Trek. So so Kirk is Captain Hook and uh, the, you know, the crew of the, you know, the, the ship is, you know, the rest of the pirate crew. Uh, but uh, Crewman Dex uh, goes on to become the alligator. There we go. Makes sense. So I think we you can't really talk about this movie without mentioning that it is a direct 
end of the Cold War allegory. <laughs> Full on. Yes. Nothing else. That was even like the stated purpose of the script. It's like, what if Klingon Chernobyl? Pretty much. Mr. Gorbachev, bring down that cloaking device. <laughs> now, I remember, I remember the fall of the Berlin Wall. We watched it on TV because I was watching I something and my dad came and put on. I was like, well, but I was watching that. And he's like, the Berlin Wall is about to come down. And I was like, that's true. But also Garfield. <laughs> yeah. Like, I have no context for this. I am a child. Uh, and actually, I've been to Berlin, um, and I'm actually holding a little thing, little desk thing that I got, which is a legit piece of the Berlin Wall that you can buy in, in Plexi. Oh. And it's all right. There's a McDonald's right there. So, so, so much for the Cold War. There's <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's now you know, in Red Square. There's that one song about the, the Tetris and the Soviet Union. Anyway. Yes, I love that song. <laughs> yes. And the the bands, they're a folk band, so everything else they do sounds nothing like that one song that I like. And I'm like, well. This is awkward. So it's, it's a little interesting as far as uh, timing goes. Uh, the This movie came out on December 6th, uh, and it was uh, of 91. And it was uh, December 26th that the uh, USR, USSR dissolved officially. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it was just 20 days later, and... Star Trek apparently uh, ended the uh, Soviet Union, clearly. Yep. <laughs> well, I saw it a month later in early January, 92. So that was my 12th birthday. Wow, has communism been over that long? Wow, geez, you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Star Trek inspired the end of the Cold War. And now I guess we're going to have another Cold War in a minute. That's all anybody keeps talking about. But that's neither here nor there. Hooray, nostalgia. Like thinking back to like stuff like MacGyver, and I love I loved me some of MacGyver back in the eighties. Yeah, you, you really do kind of lose that context. It just just make it seem like America was just really, really, really racist towards the Russians and the Chinese and and the North Koreans for like a good wee while there. I do think this shows a little bit of the strength that I keep talking about in science fiction specifically, because like the. The Klingons have never even been, you know, particularly Russian coded. They've been kind of general racist Middle Eastern Chinese amalgam Asian looking dudes most of the time. Some Orientalism going on here. Yeah. And then in the movies, they transfer them over to Japanese, which doesn't make a lick of sense. Are the I see. I always thought that the Romulans are meant to be Russia. And the Klingons are meant to be China. Or is it drive that they're more or less? Okay, more or less. Yeah, they're both meant to be sort of. I mean, they're both sort of both in the original series. By the time you get to um, later stuff, then yeah, you've kind of gotten more Romulans as Russia and Klingons as China, even though Klingons are coded Japanese with their dress and mm-hmm. honor system. Do you know? Apparently, that's not even a thing. Like I yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I follow a uh, I follow a Korean artist who lives in the states, and she she makes some really amazing uh, pottery, and that's why I ended up following her. And then she will live tweet stuff sometimes, and she basically like white people. Why is this a thing? Is this a thing you really do, white people? And sometimes I'll be like, I it is, and sometimes I'll be like, No, I I not in my family, no. But she was <laughs> playing Ghost of Tsushima. And she's like, what is all of this mess about honor? Why is everyone always going about honor? She goes, when I think about honor, I think about like European knights and stuff like that. And I, I replied and I said, well, see, we were always being told in America 
that like, oh, well, you know about Asian folks, they're so honorable and like they care so much about their honor and they all behave themselves because of their honor. And she's like, well, no, <laughs> it's not what? like that at all. <laughs> Where is this coming from? I just, I was always told that like all the East Asian countries, like they care about honor so much, but apparently, I mean, well, I guess she's just speaking for South Korea, but they're like, no, <laughs> where are you getting this from? <laughs> it's not how we roll here. But uh, it, it, to a certain extent, you know, it's, it's a weird selection slash smearing of perceptions is probably happening. Uh, yeah. You know, that, you know, general American populace, you know, you know, uh, you know, especially in this last century or so. It's like, all right. So, you know, we're, we're going to be racist in a different way. We're going to sort of just sort of, you know, assume these very specific uh, you know, traits for anyone who comes from this half of the planet. And we're not going to do any homework in order to try to differentiate them and all. So it just anyone east of here is this is how they are. So let's just let's just go with it. Honor that that works, right? And, and you know thing. what's really weird is in Europe, like uh, it's just always a tinderbox of grudges that go back for centuries, where you will have one group of one country, you know, or group being racist against another group, and then coming from American context. I don't understand how this is racism because these are both white. And so my wife has to be like, yeah, but, but like, there's a whole different world of racism outside of American racism. And I was like, all right, it's so simplistic in America. <laughs> we just hate everyone. Well, we used to make those, those divisions, you know, 50 years ago when we still considered Italian and Irish and Scottish people to not be white. But that's true. And we couldn't pay, keep it straight. We're very bad at keeping those things straight after a generation or two. Well, it's like we're, I was having a discussion once with my sister-in-law, and she's like, well, in America, she said, do Jewish folks count as white? And I said, you know, I don't know, actually. Depends on sometimes. who you talk to, I guess. Yeah, some, sometimes. My dad's Jewish, and his whole family is. But, like, I wouldn't, they wouldn't describe themselves as people of color. I wouldn't describe them as people of color. They're just, like, American around. But there are races who would. Yeah, that's or, true. And so it's, it's No, they wouldn't maybe use people of color. They just say some horrible thing instead. That's true. Yeah. So the point is that if you hate Klingons and Romulans, you're a big racist and you need to get canceled immediately. Basically, just like Kirk. Hooray. <laughs> I was silenced on Ruapente. It goes on Alex Jones to complain about it. But I think it's interesting that you can like all of us have at least a passing knowledge of the Cold War and lived through at least some part of it. Whether or not, like, I was very, very young, but I still do have a vague memory of my mom, like, going, oh, this is important, the fall of the Soviet Union. I'm like, Sh sure, but I was watching Wallace and Ladmo. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess, you know, my, my earliest uh, experience with the Cold War was, you know, I was really into, like, looking at maps when I was young. So I'm like, wow, this country is really big. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the USSR. We're, we're kind of, like, not liking them. And. And I was trying to explain a little bit, like how uh, things work in like a, a oppressive, uh, you know, dictatorial system there. And he was, and it was just like, wow, that's just horrible. Yeah, like I remember being told that, like, oh, well, you know, in Russia, you know, you have to, like, you know, when you graduate high school, you have to go on like a big stage in front of the whole town, and then the communists tell you what job that you have. Doesn't matter if you wanted to be a teacher. Guess what? You're a policeman or a baker. And like, I legit, I would think I, a teacher told me that when I was in elementary school. And I legit believed that far too long in my life that literally like, you know, in the Soviet Union, you were just assigned a job 
like 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 picking out of a hat kind of in some ways doesn't that sound great now it kind of does though. You graduate high school and like here's your job it's like oh cool I, I, I believe now i don't have to do anything you're a taxi driver uh, okay okay no, that, that works <laughs> Wait, i have to drive in the city damn it <laughs> It's job security. The only particular thing I remember is when I was a kid, my parents were talking about communists. And I was like, why do we have to be fighting each other? It's like, oh, they want to destroy our way of life. It's like, oh, okay. I don't know what that means yet, but okay. (laughs) Like, so this might sound like it has nothing to do with anything, but not last week, but the week before, we had this guy come in to steam clean a mattress. And this is because the (laughs) the flat that we moved into was mostly furnished, and we were having people over, and this mattress, we don't know the last time anyone slept on it, but it looked manky. So we're like, look, our state agent knows a guy with a steam cleaner, who I actually had to ring up and be like, hi, is this Patrick with a steam cleaner? He's like, I write, yes, 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 so it is. (laughs) So this old guy showed up with this huge steam cleaner that, God love him, I I helped him get it up and down the stairs, I thought he was going to break his back. But then he... Like, I guess he assumed that I would stand there in, like, the toxic bleach fumes with him and just converse the whole time. But he was a nice guy, but he kept asking me, like, oh, but so what do you think about China, right? And I was like, well, I said, the government's kind of bad, but the people are just people, you know, like farmers and accountants and stuff. And he goes, I right, but and he like starts going off about, like, all this, like, geopolitical stuff. And I was like, dude, I, I think you have a much bigger opinion of China than China does itself. Like, I, I really don't think that they're getting up to all the stuff that you think they're getting up to. <laughs> I finally was like, dude, China just wants money. I mean, you don't have to invade anywhere to get money. You just have to sell stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the, uh, I, I, I myself run into occasional uh, folks that are like, you know, have have read somewhere or something and then like, this is the next big move from China that's going to unravel our geopolitical balance and give them ultimate power over large swaths of the world. I'm like, you do realize that they're not the only player in the world, first off. Two, there's a lot of people that are paranoid about China, like you, for instance, but also live in these other countries that you say that they're getting buddy-buddy with. So any sort of plan like that is going to be very contingent on all those people not opposing it. So do not yeah. be assuming that that's going to be an easy path if your pla- if your uh, hypothesis about the situation is correct. Um, what more? A lot of this is hard work, and China is mostly generally interested in taking care of China, and sometimes risks of big plans aren't worth it. You know, it's like okay, we need to make sure that. You know, uh, you know, you know, the, the right people in our country are, are, you know, you know, you know, benefiting the, the most in order to keep their favor. But, you know, at the same time, we also need to make sure all our people are getting fed because, you know, yeah. we don't want a revolution or something like that. And that, that second one's a, a higher priority than the first one. So, yeah, your man was like, oh, well, yeah, but what if they invade the United States? And I was like, there would I said there would have to have been first so many things gone wrong in the world that China would get to a point where they were considering a land invasion of the states. Because here's the thing, if there was any nation with like the sheer amount of manpower to attempt that, it would be China. But the U.S. is big, and the U.S. is also not the only country in North America. And then there's also Central and South America. Like, it's just... But I could not dissuade this old man from his his thoughts of nefariousness that China was up to. He didn't take me at face value, and I was like, they just want money. Everybody just wants money. Like, why occupy? Why have a war? It's all about money. 
you win. <laughs> you know, uh, trade has you know is both the great equalizer and a pretty easy way to make money. So uh, you know, just dominate trade enough, and they're good. <laughs> right. So all the Klingons need to do is to make cheap trinkets and sell them, like you know, on Federation websites. And everyone will buy them, and then they'll be grand. So, so uh, in other words, uh, po- uh, pull a Ferengi on them. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I love those little <laughs> bastards. So the, the House of Quark uh, needs to take over, and uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, become the you know Quark becomes the High Chancellor. <laughs> do you know? Do you know that Zara actually? Because she plays been she's been playing Star Trek online for years. She's got like a billion billion characters. She actually has a crew of communist Ferengi. Nice. <laughs> Yes. I think I saw a tweet about that once. <laughs> She's probably downstairs playing it right now. Excellent. She's oh. also got a ship of um, uh, gay Kardashians. <laughs> nice. Um, they have like this this party rock ship and they're all shirtless at all times. <laughs> nice. Good times. But Maybe I, I should start playing. <laughs> it's fun. Well, it's a, it's a free-to-play game, so. Mm. Long console anyway. I think the... I think that all of the uh, all the discussions that you can have around these things kind of show why it's good to use these stand-in allegories like Klingons and other species like they do in Star Trek and other sci-fi. Because if you made this exact thing just about Russia, then you'd have the historical thing of like, well, this is about Russia and it happened years ago. In this one, you can put whatever you want on this. Like we're always at war with someone. We always have something like this going on, unfortunately. So even though people who watch this now, like younger people who watch this now that don't really remember the Cold War and have only kind of heard of it from history things, you can still put whatever you want on this. Like maybe now the Klingons are China or Afghanistan or wherever we happen to be trying to claim invasions are coming from and we could make peace with and we have unfortunate racist overtones toward Australia. We can keep keep going west or go to Australia. (laughs) Oh, Lordy. And I do think there's an interesting through line with the movie because they didn't they didn't shy away from the fact that the crew is really old now. Mm-hmm. They didn't shy away from the giant history that they've had between Kirk and the Klingons, both in the show and the movies like that they've all had with Klingons. Like they are all old racists who don't think this could work, but they're basically saying, well, just because you personally have this problem, you don't have to bring it in. Like you're doing a job. You believe that peace is good. You can still do this. Even if you're an old racist, you don't have to have this magical epiphany turnaround moment Yeah, and be like, actually, I don't have to be a racist anymore. You've opened my eyes. Like, no, you're still an old racist and you realize it about yourself. You're just not going to stand in the way of something that's good because of your old racism. Yeah, uh, I've selected that, you know, peace and universal harmony is a good enough goal that I'll put aside my, my own biases in order to pursue it. I think that in DS9 handled that really well because... I think it isn't wasn't it it was a it was a storyline for a while that Chief O'Brien hated Cardassians because he he was so heavily traumatized in the Cardassian war and it was like a very complex thing where he was like I'm a great person and I've got a wife and a child and I'm Chief O'Brien but also he's like fucking Cardassians you can't trust those people I think he says at one point yeah. I don't remember if that was mm-hmm. DS9 or uh, TNG when he was on there um but it was uh, definitely a uh, you know this he he's he has maybe his reasons for this, but it's still very uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Which is kind of the point why they had that characterization. And that's good, you know, because 
everybody likes Chief O'Brien because it's Colin Meany. Everyone loves him. And you're like, wow, yeah, no, he is kind of being racist, but I guess he has a very good reason why he has those opinions, even if they're not right, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I do think it's something they pulled it off a lo- like fairly well in this. They do it a bit more. DS9 had a bit of the um, fracturing of the Federation value system that I think made some of their messaging a little weaker on some of those points. Mm. But it is something that they've done several times through Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're a person. You have personal biases. Not every person in the system is ever going to be perfect. But we all believe in the thing we're trying to do enough that it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, We can come together and make a better future for all of us. Even if each individual of that, uh, you know, unification you know, still has their flaws. And I did think it was a kind of interesting little subversion that they had in here. That it, I only noticed it when I was like watching through some bits a second time to write the script. But they say they keep going through, and even the the, uh, the like betrayal bits with the Federation and how they're trying to assassinate people and not do the peace process they're all going like the klingons and the federation can never work together it'll make both sides weak and we can't trust each other so we the federation are going to work with them the klingons (laughs) to make sure that we can prove that we can never work together yeah that is kind of like a very strange plot it's like i'm so racist that i want peace to fail and in fact i'm so racist that i will willingly work with the people whom i have racist attitudes towards which also, it's it's a good one to continue their thing because like they're racist and they're willing to put their differences aside to work together to maintain the current system. And Kirk's racist and he's willing to put his racism aside to say the current system is shit. So maybe we should get get beyond our racism and have a direct argument about you know what should actually be going on here. It's like both sides. The the movie is actually less concerned with fixing racism as it is looking at the system that is hurting people involved in this thing Mm. they're saying these people are married to the old system and they don't see what their place in the new system will be so they want to hurt a bunch of people to maintain a system that's hurting people well i mean you could say the same thing about the military industrial complex like you know we need to keep building and selling weapons of war so we're going to precipitate issues where you know global political issues where there will be war and stuff like that which I do feel like is more what this is commenting on in some ways, because, you know, all the Starfleet people are going, but what will happen to the military if the Cold War ends? Which I wasn't very aware that politics was a thing when the Cold War was ending, but I am sure that was a discussion in the room of all the people who have been living high and mighty off of bloated military budgets for 20 years going, well, what if when the Cold War ends, what do we do? Well, it turns out you just learned to code budget. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and everyone just sort of ignores the fact that you don't, aren't necessarily needed to be so extensive here. Now, there was a very—I don't know how related this would be—but there was this very interesting article that I that I saw recently talking about like all the ways that we've changed stuff to deal with the pandemic and letting restaurants and stuff be open during the pandemic. And the basic premise is kind of any temporary solution becomes permanent eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, maybe I'm just thinking about it a bit today because I got my flu shot this morning. But I mean, last year there was basically no flu season just because yeah. of all the social distancing, everyone wearing masks, people staying inside. Um, and I said, you know, I was saying on, this was on Reddit a few months ago. I said, well, 
can we not just keep up with this kind of stuff? And one person was like, oh, you want to be locked down? I was like, no. But here's the thing. The infrastructure is already in place. You know, there's already hand sanitizer freaking everywhere at the entrance of every store. Just keep that there. If you're sick, wear a mask. Stop touching. Like everyone's become more conscious of what they're touching. You know, people are washing their hands more often still. And so that's cutting down on disease transmission. Like if we reacted to the flu season, yeah, even with just the, 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 the least we could possibly do, it would have an incredible impact. And I, I almost screenshot this because the person I was arguing with was like, oh, actually, that is a good idea. I was like, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> <Bet it was. laughs> this is a good idea. So Bet it was maybe idea. we should like do this. This, this would be good ideas. If we'd have good ideas and they make sense, maybe let's do them. Come on, people, everyone together. Let's do things. <laughs> Although I have heard uh, like kind of through the grapevine that once you get that first cold, like I personally haven't been sick since before the COVID, but when you get that first cold, it just absolutely wrecks you. Because you've forgotten what it's like to have been sick. Mm-hmm. I've uh, had some uh, seasonal allergy sort of stuff here, uh, and like one say uh, an irritated sinus, but uh, otherwise I've not been sick since you know COVID was a you know started being a thing, and yeah. it's kind of wonderful. You know, yeah, at least not. Though I will say now, it's just anytime you get even with seasonal allergies, it's like oh I got a sore throat and I did go out last week, so now I have to go to the corner get the rapid test to cancel my weekend plans just in case i have a breakthrough thingy see i just i would get the same oh god is it COVID? and then i take an antihistamine and when the antihistamine works i'm like okay all right we're good hmm. though since we're on this aside with the flu stuff i did hear that they might be able to use the technology that they developed for the COVID vaccine to create a generalized flu vaccine which you wouldn't have to that. keep taking every year nice That'd be pretty great because uh, the pharmacist told me today, she said, yeah, that they're, it, whatever you get is usually based on the last year's flu season. And I think there was something like a couple of thousand people who got the flu last year and that was it. So uh, hopefully we know what we're doing here because we didn't get good statistics last time. Hooray, science. So uh, back to the, the Cold War here. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, so, uh, so, uh, so I wanted to sort of maybe put some uh, context uh, to uh, some of the stuff we're talking about. Uh, so it was mentioned earlier, uh, the Chernobyl exa- uh, disaster was uh, sort of the you know, analogous to um, uh, Praxis exploding there. Uh, that was in 1986. Um, and so the, you know, sort of, you know, there's a number of various events happened after that, of course, you know, like someone becoming president of Afghanistan or, you know, missile treaties and such being signed. But as far as like the big Cold War, I guess, primary flex points that people remember uh the next big one was like the uh, reunification of germany uh in 89 uh where you know the berlin wall came down uh everyone uh, changed over their channel there uh then you know you know it's also about the same time that uh you know uh you know gorbachev was like all right so we're not going to be like intervening in eastern europe anymore so if you guys want to like change your governments and get rid of your so uh, your communist parties go ahead there so i think that except actually happened ukraine it, but, yeah. will be back except yes. the ukraine <laughs> uh and then uh, the uh you know the soviet union started breaking up uh i think in 1990 uh lithuania declaring independence and eventually actually voting to uh, break off the next year um but the various Soviet former Soviet Republic starting to get a little antsy and wanting to leave uh, over the next uh, you know couple of years there, 
And then finally, again, as I mentioned in 91, uh, near the end of the year, the Soviet Union officially dissolves, which is sort of the official end, I guess, of the Cold War. Also, there was a coup uh, attempt in 91 as well. In, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. They shot in the Kremlin. I remember that. Yeah. Three days, I think it is. Yeah. It didn't really change much, though, as I recall. Not really. I think I remember uh, watching some of that on TV. <laughs> Geopolitical history as remembered through what we watched on TV. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's like everyone who was children during giant geopolitical events is just like, well, my shows, though. That's how we remember anything that happened before we were 20. Yeah, that's true. I started getting interested in geopolitics uh, when I was a teen, but, you know, even still, it's sort of like, I kind of barely remember some of the weirdness going on in the 90s. It was like, oh, yeah, there's uh, the, the whole Yugoslavia breakup and fighting there and most of it oh yeah the balkans right like it was kind of one of those things like oh yeah i remember that and for like someone that was their whole entire life as a refugee and trauma and stuff like that you're like lol remember and they're like yeah lol thanks like uh this is awkward now yeah the uh yugoslavia was actually a uh non-aligned uh uh country uh, during the the cold war uh you know also known as a a third world is uh sometimes uh described but um yeah so they were you know, you know, generally on the communist side as far as you know, how they ran things, but they're like, we're not going to be part of the USSR sort of umbrella here, so we're going to do our own thing. Which I think is exactly why you get these things that simplify geopolitics and take out every other country and anything, because the Klingons don't have random allies. <laughs> they haven't been fighting proxy wars across other thingies for generations. They just skulk with cloaking devices. Exactly. So, so are the Klingons aligned with the Gorn? We don't know. <laughs> they just claim Shakespeare. <laughs> the original Shakespeare. Uh, I, I remember uh, Mr. Colgren uh, did a, a video about uh, that. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You should go watch that at some point. There's like, I'm pretty sure there's there are actual books in Klingon now. Yes. <laughs> oh, there are. Well, see, I will say that the whole first bit of this movie, this movie is one of the better, best written ones, even with character dialogue and characterization and everything. They really hit their stride by this point. And this is one of the only times that I find it very believable that they went, no, we need Kirk specifically to go on this mission because they knew he would screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> We have every confidence in you, Captain. All right, there you go. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Admiral Cartwright. I'm glad you believe in me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I, sure, Kirk. Great, yeah. whatever. I'll see you later. Let me know how it goes. And they do. It's an interesting. It's an interesting one to look at politically because in the entire thing, you have basically one guy on each side who's very committed to making the peace process work. Because mm-hmm. you have the Chancellor on the Klingon side, and then his daughter, who's basically just carrying on her father's thing. And you have Spock. And these are the only two people on either side that believe this thing can function at all. Yeah, the president is kind of just kind of like. I mean, I don't know. He's kind of like the UN president. Like, look, it's just ceremonial. I'm just around. You know, I mean, I don't tell you. Here to hang out and uh, be angry when things go badly. Exactly. Pawn of the military. (laughs) No. Here to chew bubblegum and write policy, and I'm all out of (laughs) bubblegum. I feel like this is one of those difficult ones where, aside from, like, some geopolitics and a couple other things, this movie's, like, in the realm of where passive analysis, like, anything that's not very deep media analysis, which none of us are trained for, so we don't know why we do this, um, oh, gets to anything more than the surface level stuff that this movie has already covered very well. It's so much easier to talk about the things when the movie hasn't done a good job. True, and uh, yeah. this is also this is also a, a film that's you know there's no cosmic space entity trying to destroy the world. It's just 
people being people and that's complicated and we still have to figure things out. See, I remember way back when they did the, um, you know, the new Star Trek movies, the reboot series. Somebody was try- was like trying to make fun of Trekkies with it by putting out like a little video of people at a Star Trek convention giving like jokey reviews of the movie. And one of the ones I remember was them saying like, but where was the hour and a half long discussion UN style meeting of geopolitics in the future? And I was like, yeah, where was that? <laughs> the new, like the JJ Abrams averse, I, I like the aesthetic because it is very like, you know, the enterprise if it were made by Apple. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I also like the Willy Wonka sort of engine room because a, a uh, an antimatter reactor really kind of should be overly complicated and scary to like try to figure out yeah i like how in next generation it's just this big pulsing pillar and we're just all okay with that (laughs) don't go too near the matter reactor guys hang on this this, this thing is is an antimatter reactor here so you're it's going to be putting off a lot of particles right Uh, yeah so radiation are we safe standing here or are we going to all die in a few minutes (laughs) no one is ever having children in the engineering department it's just like, what's this thing do energy it's magic it's like those <laughs> those scientists that were fucking around with that that radioactive core they nicknamed the dragon core because of course this sounds like a great idea mm-hmm. and then it's for people listeners who don't know i mean google it it's horrific but they accidentally screwed up and it's closed and it shot a proton beam through like all of them and they i think i'm pretty sure some survived but like one guy died of like awful awful radioactive falling apart disease good example of uh radiation exposures uh actually of uh, the super lethal kind it's actually uh showcased in uh stargate sg1 when uh, uh daniel jackson gets himself uh irradiated and well he, he uh gives a, a rundown it's like so the next thing that's going to happen uh is going to be like necrosis and a, something called ataxia and it's going to be a bad time and uh and then we witness some of that, and yeah, it's a bad time. Getting radioactive to death is not a good death. I'm uh, trying my best not to uh, uh, veer uh, conversation into my uh, time at working at Fermilab, um, but uh, maybe later. <laughs> oh dear! But you mean the, you mean the Stargate episode where they basically take Fat Man and Little Boy and condense it into a one into like a one hour TV show? Kinda. <laughs> Like we're, we're we're building our, our our planet's first atomic bomb, but it's also crazy uh, 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 mineral special sci-fi stuff. Yeah, where they do the demon core thing, and that's it. Oh, is it the demon core? I called it the dragon core. Well, that sounds more you know, punk. I honestly can't remember, but I have a strong memory of it being called the demon core. I believe you, but so- I have not looked it up. So one of us could be right. Are you sure? It, like, it's probably we're both wrong somehow. It's probably something else entirely. The Dragon yeah, Ball Core or something like that. The Dragon Ball Core. Uh, that would wait. be fantastic. It's, it's like a Dragon Ball. It grants you wishes, but you also get radiation po- poisoning. <laughs> if you turn on the Geiger counter, it's over 9,000. <laughs> I don't know how you, those units work, so maybe. <laughs> it's over 9,000. Can something be over 9,000 rads, is it? Oh, easily. Probably. Like <laughs> okay, the- good sun or something you know uh, uh sort of an aside here about radiation exposure they uh you know in my radiation trading it's like all right so anything you know, ab- uh, above uh, f- 50 millirems that's a class one so it's basically you don't eat it and you're really fine um <laughs> and you know but uh you know unless it's over 200 in which case is a class two 
you know, you know, limit your exposure in class three. That's the, the hottest thing we, uh, you know, are, you're, you're normally going to run into here at the lab. Also, we have a, a class uh, four and class five uh, thing. And long story short, if you are anywhere near class five, you're already going to die. So don't worry about it. <laughs> what level is dental x-ray? Because that always used to scare me as a child. Higher than background for sure. But I don't remember, uh, you know, sort of what your exposure uh, thing is. And, and as far as counting this stuff up, it's always sort of a cumulative, not, you know, you know, as far as your own exposure goes. And it's it's kind of smushy as far as, you know, how dangerous uh, radiation is. So, Oh, I know. Just when I was a kid, they were like, wear this lead apron. I'm going to skitter away. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Well, that's the thing fine. that people talk about. I saw a very good description of that. that like, the people say that, like, oh, the doctor says it's going to be fine, then leaves the room and hides, behind, hides in a, ra- a radiation-proof bunker. It's like, yeah, well, you get exposed to this thing for 10 seconds. They have to do it 40 times a day, every day, for years. Yeah, that's true. So uh, their exposure builds up over time. Although I was probably just looking for like an excuse not to have to go to the dentist. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but like this just reminds me that this is completely out of nowhere, but we seem to have run out of other things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, Star Trek's sick. It's good. <laughs> yeah. a, go on, see A it. kid at the Grand Canyon was playing with a Geiger counter and found <gasps> some just radioactive barrels yes! in the back storeroom somewhere. Whoops. I heard about that. And... I know several people who live up there. My parents work up there. They were always like, this place is built on a uranium mine. Everything's radioactive. Why are you all freaking out? <laughs> I, uh, so I saw that story come up and it was from, I, I checked it out first. It was from a pretty reputable actual newspaper. And so I quote retweeted it. And all I said was, oh my God, that's incredible. Not incredible good or bad, but wow, gosh, that's something significant. And then immediately, um, someone I'm friends with, and then two of their followers showed up to be like, no, radiation is actually awesome. And I was like, no, I, <laughs> I wasn't passing judgment. I was, okay, I don't want to hear any more about radiation. Not when you're standing next to it. I believe you, radiation is fantastic and lovely and it tastes like McDonald's. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Say the people who I know who work up at the canyon, I was like, have you heard of this story? I was like, oh yeah, that kid. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, dick. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> Always fucking uh, causing trouble. No, no. Speaking of uranium, uh, uh, you know, sort of a uh, interesting uh, science fact is that uh, so uranium breaks down, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, due to, to uh, decay there, uh, eventually produces radon gas, right? Oh yeah, uh, radon, radon detector. Yeah, you know, builds up in you know in people's uh, you know basements and things like that, and that can be a, potentially a bit of a problem because it's also radioactive generally, um, and so you get a uh, you know this radon gas that seeps out of the earth and tends to be more in places where there's uranium somewhere underground. Uh, but, you know, there's you know, going to be trace amounts of that kind of everywhere, too. Uh, but, um, you know, an interesting thing about radon, though, is because it's radioactive uh, as well, it's also decaying, and th- what it decays into isn't a gas. So it oh. seeps, you know, it goes up into the atmosphere, decays, and suddenly you got bismuth and lead, radioactive lead bismuth, suspended in the atmosphere oh. uh and so when it rains it, it uh, precipitates out but though that's something that would have always been happening though because there's yes. always been like uranium <laughs> in the ground right but you don't often bring uranium up to the surfaces oh, that's a good point. often as we do but uh sometimes people do freak out about it's like they bring out their gyre counter and during a you know you know uh ap- you know like after a snow or something like that and like oh all this snow is radioactive 
Clearly somebody's trying to poison us. No, it's just a natural uh, phenomenon. No one was trying to poison you. We just do it by accident <laughs> very often. Well, isn't the isn't the the natural background radiation that you would detect, isn't that the thing that's the fingerprint of the Big Bang? Well, uh, there is there is that. Or do I have this confused up? Cuz I know like if you uh-huh. if you turn a, like a an old like a like a tube TV on and it's not tuned to a channel, the static apparently the static that you get is some it's really i saw this in a museum and it sounded like it was true so a fraction of that yeah is the uh cosmic background uh radiation okay uh, that's what that's I like uh you know like a you know, radio signal sort of uh, uh deal uh which is you know fairly low energy compared to you know the uh the output of uh you know radioactive uranium um you know and also there's multiple types of radiation uh there's electromagnetic of course which is you know you know what the the cosmic microwave background is uh, there's also gamma rays, which is much higher energy and tend to be nasty. Uh, you know, there's you know, alpha particles, which are basically uh, ionized uh, helium that can get uh, kicked off a you know a, a large nuclei. Uh, and there's also beta radiation, which uh, is you know you know positive you know positrons or electrons, depending on what exactly is going on. Uh, and uh, you know those can be uh, fairly penetrating, so you want more than a piece of paper in order to block that. But the gamma radiations are the ones you have to really worry about. So Chernobyl. <laughs> some of it's Big Bang radiation, and some of it's just the random way we irradiated the world by playing happy fun nuke times in the 60s. Here's all the different ways you can die from fallout today. Also, uh, bananas. They have potassium-40 in them. That's highly radioactive. <laughs> I heard about that, and I think that's fantastic. Uh, in, in fact, uh, when I was in grad school doing my... Uh, my research, the potassium forty line was one of the easiest ones to identify on my uh, my equipment because it's like, well, it's bigger than everything else and also bigger than most of the background. <laughs> so, uh, hooray! <laughs> and I don't have any bananas nearby. This is on the top of a mountain. Where's the <laughs> potassium? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> one of your lab assistants has a banana in their back pocket. She didn't say anything. Dang it. <laughs> What's her name? Uh, anyway, <laughs> so at Chernobyl, it, it was a bad time. Uh, Not the best, as you may well have seen on the fantastic documentary series done by Netflix. Yeah, so I've not seen that. Uh, so most Spoilers. of my uh, knowledge of Chernobyl has been mostly from uh, reading and things like that. Um, yes, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> Chernobyl's bad. <laughs> yeah, a, a series of, you know... Uh, bad safety and poor decision making and suddenly your, your your reactor's belting down and well we can't do much with that uh maybe try to put some some concrete on it i guess uh maybe a friend of mine who's a little bit younger than me uh from the from my cohort at uni was like oh have you watched uh chernobyl yet it's really good it's really class and i was like no i'm not gonna watch it i know how it ends and she's like what, what do you mean it hasn't it hasn't you know did you watch the whole thing and i was like no because it's real life chernobyl i know <laughs> what that actually happened and she's like stop being obnoxious and i was like listen nah yeah they created a weird exclusion zone the crows and wolves took over we don't know how the radioactive crows and wolves are doing yet could be interesting well youtubers are always going so <laughs> radioactive crows wolves and youtubers <laughs> and youtubers are best definitely the prime example of health in america exactly <laughs> I, i'm uh seeing a uh, piglet with dipius dip dipigus uh it doesn't look like it's too healthy there hmm. i mean people still live there there's some old curmudgeonly people who are like i'm not leaving never t- this is my home and they just stay there because they're russians good luck <laughs>
They probably make good money now from like all the tourism. Yeah, because like you can you can go. It's just you shouldn't stay there very long. But apparently you can go now. My my father in law, who is big big traveler, uh, he really wants to go. And I was like, uh, uh, okay. If you really want, uh, good luck. You no, know, there's other places you could go. Yeah, that's you not can... so radioactive and. I don't know, evil. Not evil, but dangerous. Probably Hazardous. very haunted, if that's your thing. Yeah. So Praxis tourism is one of the things that they don't talk <laughs> about in next gen. <laughs> Do you know there's a there's a there's a there's a guide to Kronos. Like it's a it's a sci-fi book. We used to we used to have a copy of it when I worked at the bookstore. But it's basically like like a Lonely Planet travel guide, but for uh they they do a whole bunch of different sci-fi ones, and there's one for Kronos. Cool. Uh, yeah, any any you know, snazzy details to share? Um, I flipped through it once when I was supposed to be working, but it was it was pretty cool. It was like you know you you can't miss going to so and so's opera house. I mean you're in the city of things and stuff with the average temperature. So it, it was kind of very like very world building, <laughs> very tongue in cheek as well. Nice. Now. Uh, to uh, be uh, fully uh, aware of uh, Chernobyl there, the exclusion zone uh, and Chernobyl itself is actually nowadays mostly in Ukraine and uh, Belarus. So, uh, you, know, they're, you know, you know, ethnic Russians, Ukrainians, um, Belarusians, you know, all being homogeny, hanging out there. <laughs> Getting thyroid cancer. Yes. Lots of thyroid cancer. Uh, you know, looking at some of the... Uh, data there and you're like yeah that's that's not not healthy all right since we've gotten to so many other things did anyone have anything that they specially wanted to bring up before we move on to the last bit so that we aren't recording for that's three a good hours point. um i my big thing was i thought when i was a kid that the klingons having pepto-bismol colored blood was cool i thought that was neat that's true yeah <laughs> like, i guess that was like a computer technology limitation with something of how the rendering color works i don't understand we it thought it might be fully. because to save them a rating oh yeah that yeah, too possibly, yeah. but the cgi looked really bad it looked so good when i was a kid and i was like seriously really but i just remember when i watched this originally with my mom she was like oh my god the blood like that's how fluids move in microgravity isn't that cool uh, yes but it's also awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah mom but like the blood's purple that's my <laughs> that's my imitation of us all as children. <laughs> it's also, uh, you know, uh, you know, the expanse uh, covers, uh, uh, you know, coagulation and you know all that sort of stuff when it, you know, in zero g uh, a bit. But you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure how much that take actually is. I guess accurate, but I'm guessing it's probably close to the reality, maybe. Which would be that you know, given how you know fluids move around in a body in gravity, it might be. Uh, more difficult to stop bleeding in uh, microgravity. I never thought about that. Like, if you just got like a small cut in microgravity, would it just keep flowing until it clotted, or would 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 the lack of gravity impact clotting? Huh. Well, the surface tension would hold it together. That's a good point. On your skin, yes. If you have a major wound, uh, well, it could cause some weird issues. Maybe you know, your heart's still pumping out, and uh, if you have this uh, a big wound, say a, a missing arm or a phaser blast to the uh, the chest there. Uh, you know, it could uh, cause some some complications. Though this movie, I don't know what, like, I think they were trying to go for a really visceral scene, but my God, phasers have never been so gory. True. Yeah, that's a good point, because usually it's just like a little glowing burned patch on their outfit, and everyone's like, oh, he died the way he lived by a phaser. He got shot in the shoulder, but he has a major chest wound. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this one, they're like punching holes through people. Arms are coming off. This was the bad old days when phasers meant phaser. 
I'm going to cause a maximum damage here. They spend this whole movie talking about how necessary peace is, which is a good message that they bring in through a lot of the rest of the, through a lot of Star Trek stuff. Mm -hmm. But like this one is showing like, here is the alternative. It is brutal and awful and we're not cleaning it up. It's going to be painful. There's going to be mess everywhere. And yeah, it's going to be a bad time. I definitely. So uh, long story short, folks, uh, don't murder each other. Don't do not murder each other. It's going to be nasty. I endorse that. Apparently, there's so much to say about this movie that we can't, and we get onto geopolitics for several <laughs> hours. <laughs> I'm helping provide premium content. Yeah, I could uh, you know go and talk about more of the, of the Cold War if you really like. You know, you know the specific movements to you know would break off Ukraine, for instance. You know, are kind of interesting, but I don't think that's going to be all. You know, something that we can easily cover here in a reasonable amount of time, and it'd just be me talking at you guys. So. That's fair. Yeah, so you can do that for a filler episode later. Hooray! And <laughs> Let's talk about the Ukraine. And now it's probably time to move on to the galaxy's favorite game show. Da -da -da -da. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the galaxy's favorite game show. The last one of the Star Trek films. I think our, uh, our our old crew has uh, done themselves pretty well. They uh, Each one of them's got over like a billion points now in total, but we only count them for each movie or uh, episode individually. So uh, unfortunately, we don't have the uh, Lifetime Achievement uh, Awards uh, to hand out uh, because we don't do that here. Anyway, we got several prizes to hand out because, uh, well, they got some people doing some cool stuff here or questionable things. The first one is the Medical Malpractice uh, Award, which goes to McCoy for having all that time to learn and then forget anatomy of Klingons. And, you know, they're kind of an important species that you might need to, like, do some medicine on at some point. So what does he win, Gepwin? McCoy wins the visible Klingon. So it's, it's like, you know, the little plastic see-through dudes that we used to get model kits of, because then you know where the liver and things are. And it's kind of important. And they... That's how we all learned anatomy, right? We don't have the TNG uh, folder scanner uh, to do, uh, you know, the whole uh, mock-up and realize, oh, Klingons have like 12 livers or something like that. So, uh, yeah, that might be a good option for McCoy. Our second prize is the Cold War Strategy Prize. It goes to Ca Chancellor Gorkon for seeking peace. What's it clear that this whole Cold War thing just isn't going to work out? Uh, what does uh, he uh, win, Omega? Well, Bob, today he's going to win this piece of the Berlin Wall that I've got on my desk. It's a metaphor. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'm sure uh, he'll uh, appreciate it, uh, hopefully before he gets shot. Our uh, third prize is the Rejecting Surak Prize, which goes to Valerius, because murdering the Chancellor is most likely going to lead to violence, not peace, which is what Surak was all about. What does he? Uh, what does she win, Gepwin? She wins the five D chess set because she's playing some five D chess. You don't even understand how murdering people actually logically leads to better peace later. And oh my god, I'm so smart! I totally didn't drop out of college. Go away. <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, I guess uh, she did uh, graduate top of her class in Starfleet, or did she? Dun dun dun. Mary Sue. <laughs> Our uh, fourth prize is the Evil Twin Prize, which goes to Martia for pulling a whole Lord Garth uh, sort of thing and looking like Kirk in order to fight him. Uh, what does she win, Omega? Well, Jack, she's won a goatee because you can't be an evil twin without a fake goatee. Also, Spirit Halloween's open, so she can stock up just. That's a good point. Hmm. I should get, you know, get me some fake goatees. 
<laughs> anyway, <laughs> our uh, fifth prize is the Shakespeare Enthusiast Pride, which goes to General Cheng. And, you know, because, you know, McCoy's like, he'll give real money to have General Cheng shut up and all that. That's, he gets a little over the top. Anyway, what, what does he win, Gepwin? He wins any other book of plays or poetry. It's like, I get we have a big heart on for Shakespeare now, and we want to, like, whitewash all of history, but at this point, still being this obsessed with Shakespeare makes it seem like culture has not advanced in a thousand years at all. Can we do any, can we get any other dude? We'll even accept another old white guy. Just anybody else. Literally any other quote. Let's just find something, please. Hmm. I know uh, plenty of authors myself, and they'd love to get quoted at Star Trek. You, you, know, <laughs> you just have to ask them, you know? It's, it'd be fine. Come on, folks. <laughs> Our last prize is the Shatner Discontinuity Prize, which goes to William Shatner, not correct, William Shatner, for stealing the Excelsior's mission's backstory in order to make sure no one had to rescue the Enterprise. What does he win, Omega? Well, Kevin, William Shatner today has won a premium IMDb membership so he can go onto the forums and, well, actually everyone who complains about the plot. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Ah, we got, uh, I, I think this is a good place to uh, wrap up our uh, original series run here and, uh, I'd like to thank uh, Gepwin and Omega and all our other previous guests here for uh, making the Galaxy's favorite game show just kind of amazing. Uh, feel free to take us away, guys. Yes, thank you, everyone. I think Shatner might already have that prize <laughs> in real life. You know, the guy's a dick if we haven't made it clear already. <laughs> uh, thank you all for joining us here on the Galaxy's favorite game show. Uh, Omega, uh, you know, you, you, you said uh, you know uh, you, you know not doing too many uh, videos and things like that now. But uh, you know, if the uh, you know the audience wants to support you, how how can they do that? Um, I guess you can go follow me on Twitter. I tweet things. Um, I've got a YouTube channel, but I I don't really post much. Um, some of that stuff probably will be going unlisted shortly. I've t been toying around with the idea of, of having a YouTube channel just for lectures and stuff like that but if you want to follow me on twitter i'm a good follow at least i think so i've uh you know been a fan of your stuff for a good long while and oh, thanks. uh independent of what you decide with uh your 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 you know, previously posted content uh you know i'll keep following you on twitter and uh, hope everyone else does as well well thanks everybody uh, as as for what we're gonna be doing next uh you know i i told gepwin that uh during the you know before we start tng uh I'll basically uh, take over, uh, you know, all the hard bits for uh, for an episode uh, to to cover a movie. Uh, so so uh, so, Mega, uh, uh, should I be Trixie here? I mean, you could be a bit Trixie if you're Excellent. if you're thinking uh, uh, in a New Zealand frame of mind. Maybe. I mean, I ain't saying. I'm just saying. Is. That's exactly what I was <laughs> Oh, can I can I plug something that's not mine, but it might be relevant to your oh. interests? Oh, go ahead. So I've got a friend, uh, John D. Ruddy, and he uh, lives in the town where I am. And he was on the channel of stuff back in the day. He's mostly known for um, – he's an artist and author and actor. He does everything. He's written a few books about Irish history for kids. 
But he started a podcast during the COVID, and it's still going. It's called. It's on Spotify. It's called "Where Many Have Gone Before," where basically himself, uh, who is completely new to Star Trek, and a friend of his, his co-host, who is super super into Star Trek, are watching every single episode ever. And they started with the original nice. series. So if you guys want to check that out, it's really good. So I have plugged. But uh, as as far as what we're going to be covering next, um, Gepwin, I have a question for you. Yes. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Pick two. <laughs> well, that's a difficult one. I don't do very many drugs. So I guess I'll just discount that one. We'll go with sex and rock and roll. Well, that's an interesting choice then. Um, so the, uh, the, the other two choices uh, for uh, rock and roll and drugs uh, would have been Southland Tales. Uh, you know, drugs and sex would have been the Congress, but uh, rock and roll and sex, there's, there's only one option uh, really left over at that point. Um, uh, have you ever done the time warp? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've kept wondering whether that counts as science fiction. <laughs> Well, there's you know, there's beams and uh, people from other planets, and uh, there's a whole Frankenstein sort of thing going on. So, yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're picking movies, I guess it's your call what counts as science fiction. <laughs> I'm going to call it science fiction. So, uh, the, the next time uh, you uh, see an episode of uh, Watchers of Tomorrow, folks, we're going to be doing the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ooh. Now, that's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> yes. Um, there might be some singing involved. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> all right so thank you very much omega for joining us oh thanks for having me i think we got onto a lot of <laughs> geopolitics i don't know if anyone expected that one but <laughs> well this is the geopolitics movie <laughs> that's true so yes go follow omega on twitter is a good follow can oh, confirm <laughs> and apparently next time we will be doing the american Cult classic Rocky Horror Picture Show. Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, I see you quiver in anticipation. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.